Now in paperback is Our Share of Night, the first novel to be translated into English by Mariana Enriquez, the international Booker Prize shortlisted author of The Dangers of Smoking in Bed. In what the Washington Post is calling a masterpiece of supernatural horror, a woman's mysterious death puts her husband and son on a collision course with her demonic family. Moving back and forth in time, from London in the swinging 60s to the brutal years of Argentina's military dictatorship and its turbulent aftermath, Our Share of Night is a novel like no other. A family story, a ghost story, a story of the occult and the supernatural, a book about the complexities of love and longing with queer subplots and themes. Our Share of Night is the masterwork of one of Latin America's most original novelists. Alan Moore, author of Watchmen, calls it, quote, a magnificent accomplishment. Kazuo Ishiguro, author of Never Let Me Go, describes Enriquez as, quote, the most exciting discovery I've made in fiction for some time. Our Share of Night by Mariana Enriquez is available now wherever books are sold. And I am here to tell you about The Quantum Devil, which arrives this week promising a nightmarish descent into quantum hell. Oh, you don't. Quantum hell sounds really disturbing, actually. That's worse than regular hell, I think. Mm -hmm. Courtesy of Crazed House and Red Box Entertainment. This is directed by Larry Wade Carell. The film stars Neil Dixon, Tyler Tackett, and, and this is really exciting because I'm a big fan of this guy, special guest star, horror icon, Robert England, Freddy Krueger himself, makes an appearance in The Quantum Devil. Very exciting. The film follows an international team of scientists who are summoned to a remote location in Eastern Europe to conduct clandestine experiments in an effort to breach the quantum barrier and travel to another dimension. The four scientists, each with a dark secret, must confront the sins of their past while facing the dangerous consequences of journeying to the other side into the realm of the quantum devil. Watch the quantum (laughs) devil today on your favorite streaming provider, but be warned. Once you open the door to the quantum realm, there is no going back. For more information, visit www.crazedhouse.com. Very well done, Eric. And we're going to get to the show here in just a second, but I have one last ad read for our benevolent corporate overlords at Fangoria. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years, and they are better than ever, with each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. So head on over to Fangoria.com to learn more, to subscribe, and while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your annual subscription. Now on with the show. Hi, my name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Bad rap! Bad rap! Sir! Advise me to go see a Hello, campers, and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Eric Vespi. And I'm Scott Wampler. And we are your camp counselors. That's right. For reasons we can't even begin to understand, your parents dropped you off in the middle of the woods with Vespi and I for two solid weeks of arts, crafts, archery, horseback riding, and, you know, whatever the hell else we do here at, at Camp Nightmares and Dreamscapes. We've had a lot of fun together these past few weeks, but tonight we're bringing your time at Camp Nightmares and Dreamscapes to a close. 
with one of our most time-honored traditions and one of my personal favorites, telling spooky stories around a campfire. So what we're going to do here is uh, call you up one by one to stand with uh, with Vespi and I right here next to the fire. And uh, you're each going to present us with whatever spooky story you prepared. There's quite a few of you, so we'll, we'll need you all to keep your stories short, but uh, we should have no problem getting through everyone by the time this fire goes out. Indeed. And once you're done telling your spooky story, you'll be free to return to your cabins for a little shut-eye. Now, uh, some of you may have heard the rumor that Camp Nightmares and Dreamscapes is being stalked by a mass killer who lives in the woods. But we, but we need you to know that nothing could be further from the truth. Camp Nightmares and Dreamscapes is just as safe as it's always been. Which is to say, extremely, almost entirely safe. Sure, we might have lost a few campers over the years due to inclement weather, uh, uh, rampant dysentery mm-hmm. caused by a tainted batch of bug juice and... You know, it's all the all the snakes living in the lake. That lake is positively teeming with snakes. Yeah, but uh, we've never lost a single camper to a mass slasher who's hiding in the woods watching us right now. So don't worry about that. With all of that said, we should bring up our, our first camper. Uh, I see here on the list we have uh, Camper Kate Siegel. Camper Siegel, are you in the uh, in the crowd? Come yes, on come down. on up. Come on up. You are going to be... <laughs> yes, you're going to be uh, kicking off our evening of uh, spooky stories here. Um, I hope you have a, have a good one for us. I certainly do. I would like to tell you one of the most romantic, one of the most loving, one of the most idealized relationship stories I have ever come across with also spooky I mean, I guess it's spooky, but for me, mostly, it's just like a total boner maker. It's like my version of a bodice ripper, like just yes. dripping reading this story. The level of complete devotion in Doan's Cadillac. Sorry, <laughs> I got a little hot. It's, it's fine. This is a different type of campfire. So Dolan's Cadillac, we meet our narrator who is in love with his wife, Elizabeth, who has been brutally murdered by Dolan, who is like top-level Jimmy Hoffa mafia guy. Apparently, Elizabeth mm-hmm. oversaw something, and Dolan put a bomb in her car and exploded her into bits. And her husband, her sweet, loving, devoted husband, dedicates his life to the beautiful art of revenge. Yes. And what this man does is he pushes himself to the edge of mind, body, and spirit where he creates a fake detour in the desert using every inch of his human body, mind, and spirit, she says again. He creates a fake detour, having tracked Dolan for years and his Cadillac back and forth from Las Vegas to Los Angeles. He -hmm. creates like a like a little pitcher plant, like a trap in the middle of the hard pan desert, a detour where he tears up the highway and builds a hole. So Dolan and his Cadillac drive directly into his own grave and then he buries him alive. Nice. All for the love of beautiful Elizabeth. No. It's amazing. It's romantic. It's the story, I, I mean, While You Were Sleeping has nothing on this. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a little Poe in it. It's very yeah. Poe, which, you know, I wish I could talk about something right now, but I obviously oh, cannot, yes. nor would I. But honestly, I considered this story to not be spooky at all. It's simply how I'd like my marriage to end. Oh. <laughs> 
Um, have you ever been moved to an act of revenge that that would uh, uh, approach the elaborate nature of what Dolan does here? Honestly, I don't have the kind of dedication or fortitude of spirit to do something like Dolan does. But I assume Mike Flanagan would. If I <laughs> stubbed my toe, mm. if I didn't book a part, like I'm always waiting for Mike to Dolan Cadillac somebody. Oh, hmm. so so this is an expectation in your relationship then is should you be wronged in any way, shape or form that that the justice will be metered out tenfold? That's that's I mean, the understanding. Not only wronged, mildly inconvenienced. Mm, yes. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that weird? You guys don't no. have that expectation in your relationships? Not not quite. But you're you're not wrong. And I think that that I mean, listen, I just I personally would object to working in the hot nevada sun yeah so that that's a step too far for me but if you give me a nice temperate controlled yeah that's classism second of all (laughs) what's what's important to know here is that i know lots of wives say to their husbands if i die young or if like an untimely death like go on Mm -hmm. like love Mm -hmm. again live Mm -hmm. your best life i do not feel that way what mm. I feel is that you should plot <laughs> revenge for years and years and years and years, sacrifice your mind, body, and spirit, and get revenge for whatever killed me, be it cancer or be it a mobster. Like, that's what you need to do. Never how get would, over me. Never surrender. How is Mike going to get revenge on cancer? Honestly, that's up to him. I don't have the time to think of those things. <laughs> like, you didn't see Elizabeth down there, like, like her little ghosty hands stroking the back of his neck and saying, like, you need to dig a grave in the desert. No, she just was like, good job, bro. And then when he was done, she disappeared. All right, one more question for you. Being buried alive, how would you rank this in terms of worst ways to die? Oh, wow. What's worse than being buried alive? Um, being run over by a steamroller from the toes up. A la oh. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> I thought you were going to say a la Maximum Overdrive. I thought uh, you would go into shock so quickly, though. But still, you know. it would take so long. I yeah, mean, what if it's, it's got to be slow. That's the thing. It can't uh, just be a quick steamroller, right? No, no, no. That's really bad. I mean, but I would say second to that, being buried alive is right up there. You have too much time to think. It's like, oh, the slow suffocation gets to you. I don't like mm. it. And that's why yeah, nobody but... should ever wrong me. So if my enemies are listening, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> Very well. Well, we, we thank you for this, uh, this spooky and uh, dreadfully romantic story that you've told us. So romantic. Um, and we would like to invite you now to uh, return to your cabin for the evening now that your your part in all this is done. Oh, thank you. Okay. Do you guys have a flashlight? Oh, and one, or... one, we don't have a flat. No, no flashlights. And the, and the uh, trails are not lit. Okay. Pure blackness. Our understanding is that there is nothing dangerous or spooky out in the woods surrounding Camp Nightmares and Dreamscape. So you and all the other campers here tonight ought to be fine. Oh, yeah. Totally. No problem at all. Barely an inconvenience. All right, guys, I'm going to go get a nice night's sleep, and I'll see you in the morning for pancakes. Adios. Hello? Is there somebody there? No. No, please. Please think of the children. Well, it sounds like Mike has some uh, bearing to do, doesn't it? It's, it sounds like, I'm sure she's fine. I'm sure she's fine, right? Um, it sounded like she was killed by a slasher in the forest, but, you know, let's not jump to conclusions. She might be pulling a prank on us. Let's let's keep the uh, let's keep the festivities going. Yes? 
Yes, yeah, absolutely. Let's see. Who's next up? This would be Camper... Oh, of course. It makes sense. Camper Flanagan. Mike Flanagan, are you here? Oh, my God, guys. Is she dead? Ooh, we don't know that for sure, but... Because uh, if she's... It did, if, it did sound that way. Oh, fuck. If she's dead, I have to... I have to Dolan somebody, and I don't even know who to Dolan. God damn. Uh, Vespi? Not me. Dolan don't Vespi. Dolan me. Uh, I didn't do I, anything. I need someone else to dig the hole. I, I'm just, I'm way too, I don't have the upper body strength to bury a car. But, you know, I'm, I've got to honor her wishes, because if, if I don't, she is going to haunt me. I believe her completely that she will haunt me forever. Let's not focus on the negative right now. We're here having a fun campfire with with spooky stories this is this is stuff we can deal with in the am my man do you have a, a spooky story that you you prepared to pre- present to the rest of uh, the campers tonight oh what am i gonna tell our children uh, um yeah i'll worry about it later you're right yes i have yeah i have a spooky story um it's called the end of the whole mess Ooh. Mm-hmm. which just really feels ironically apropos to me right now but um, it's it's really a, a haunting story. Um, it's uh, narrated by this guy Howard, who has a younger brother who's a genius, and he's. I mean, fuck, my kids are just gonna. I don't even know how to explain this. To me. And and his younger brother has found a way to save the world. And and Howard's saying, you know, yeah, the narr- he's narrating this to us and saying, my my younger brother, the genius, the scientist has cured the world of, of all the violence, but he's also destroyed it. And then it flashes back in time, which is, I mean, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to come up with a lie. Like she fell down the stairs or she ran away with Rahul Kohli. <laughs> They're not going to believe that. They're never going to believe that. They're going to immediately say, no, she was killed by a slasher. She's not running away with Kohli. All right, let's focus. Especially with Rahul Anyway, Kohli, anyway. Okay. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, the younger brother, Bobby, uh, he finds this town called uh, La Plata, um, and La Plata. God, I'm I'm just so scattered. I'm sorry, guys. And uh, realizes that this town has no violence. No children's mothers are being killed by slashers in this town. There's no physical violence or altercations or assault in the history of this town. And he begins to realize that the reason why is there's a substance in the water, and this substance eliminates human aggression. And so he says, uh, this is an incredible discovery. If we, can, if we can dilute and distill this substance and, and spread it out, we can, get, we can end war. We can usher in world peace. We can get rid of all of, of the bad things about humanity. So they do. They harvest all this stuff. They put it into a, a volcano um, that's set to erupt. And it, it, it just sends this stuff up into the atmosphere. It comes down in the rain and it works. They cure the whole world. Of violence and uh, and uh, the, the world becomes a utopia, but in this great kind of Kingian twist, um, they were too eager. They didn't have enough data when they did this, and they didn't realize that this town had another very fascinating statistic to it, which is its incredibly high uh, levels of uh, dementia among its citizens, um, which is linked to this substance. So, um, as we're hearing this. We're realizing, reading it, that uh, the grammar and, and spelling and everything else in, in the story is falling apart because the whole world is now succumbing to this early onset dementia. So it's very Flowers for Algernon, and it's a chilling, beautiful, tragic story about good intentions going wrong and kind of leaping before, before you look 
carefully enough and uh, how they saved the world and destroyed it kind of all in one fell swoop. And I wanted to adapt it mm. for a very long time. They ended up adapting it for television as part of the TNT series starring my friend uh, Henry Thomas. That's, That's true. true. Flanagan uh, cast regular Mr. Henry Thomas. Yeah. Maybe he and he has really well-developed forearms and would be great at digging a hole so I, I can enlist Ooh. Henry here to dole in this fuck when we Yes. Yes. Um, get Henry, there we get go. Coley, Michael yes. Trucco. You, that guy's a tank. This, I've, I've got a plan. We're mm. going gonna to outsource this. It's going to be great. Well, if this slasher ends up being real, then we're going to need all the help dolensing this guy. Uh, but I still think Kate's just pulling our leg. So I'm sure you'll go home. She'll be like, gotcha. You'll be totally fine. Okay. Or maybe she'll meet you at the cabin. You should go. This might be a good opportunity. Go go great check idea. on her. Maybe uh, go see if she's waiting for you at the cabin. All right. I think that's that's a yeah. good call. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great. And you're yeah. right. She does, yeah. she does this I'm, shit all the time. And report back. Yeah, she's faked her death Always, at least yeah. six times since our since we got married. So this this makes sense. I'm gonna. I I'll think she's done it on the show at least three times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Know. Go check. Come back uh, and let us know. All right, guys. You have a good one, and I will catch you later. Right on, man. All right. So who do we have? What the, uh, what the hell is that? Uh oh. Uh, machetes. My one weakness. I I, I love you, Kate. Avenge me, Rahul Kohli. Oh. Oh. So... Rahul got suspended, so he's not at camp this summer, unfortunately. So he's not gonna avenge anybody, I don't think. Shit. I think we should just not look this in the eye and move on. Um, The likelihood of the slasher uh, in the woods surrounding this camp killing off yet another guest strikes me as very unlikely. So let's, let's just keep the party going. Keep short stories coming and uh, move on to our, our next person. Maybe the third time is the charm. Let's see who's next in line. Uh, Camper Mitchell. Camper Winter Mitchell. Are you here tonight? Present. Come Present on up to the bonfire. For. Here I come. Excellent. Ooh. You have a spooky story? I, I, I do. I've been I've been dying to tell this one because... Now, there's no child murdering in it. Yes. Uh, Unfortunately, there is. Um, oh, but I actually agree with this. See, listen, the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the situation is such that we have a teacher. Her name is Mrs. Sidley, and she's very committed to the craft. I mean, the art of teaching is a very, very specific type of job, and she takes it very, very seriously. And she's been doing this for a long time, so long that it's backbreaking work for her. I mean, you'd think that she was a laborer, but she's not. She's actually trying to mold young minds. Yes. Well, we're upon another school year, and it's not getting better. She's getting older, and they're staying the same age, and not in the way that we like that, you know? She's Mm. really, really frustrated with this particular class, and they seem to have caught her vibe, and now they're going to one-up her. Oh, God. It's so nerve-wracking to think about what's to come. I don't even know how to get here, but I'll just get here. She's a very big tyrant. I mean, she is like, do your homework. I mean, can you imagine a teacher asking what? your homework? What? It's disgusting. Can you, she's grotesque, and she wants you to learn how to spell. I mean, oh, my God. Yeah. It's- horrifying what she's asking these students to do and Mm. one day she's running through the lessons and she's got a good flow and her back really hurts and suddenly in the reflection of her glasses she sees 
Robert. Mm. And Robert is this prepubescent little shithead and he's mm. constantly mocking her and pointing looks and gazes at everyone and routing up the rest of the class and she's had enough. In all of her frustration, she reprimands him and turns back to the board and then all of a sudden, she looks out of the reflection of her glasses and she sees him shift into the tiny little alien monster that she knows him to be. Mm. She doesn't know if he's really that or she's seeing things and she's trying Mm -hmm. to gather up her strength to figure it out but ever the stiff upper lip she just goes with it Mm. well as we're going through the rest of the school day she decides that she needs to go clean the girls bathroom because that's what a good sturdy reliable teacher does so she goes and tidies up the girls bathroom and then demons in the form of young women aggressively pursue her in the bathroom well she can't take it she's never been defied like this before first monsters in the classroom people not knowing how to spell and then craziness on the the schoolyard and now demons in the girls locker room while she's cleaning up period tampons and whatnot and who knows and whatsoever because all these children are vile she passes out and then her really rude co-workers really rude like they have zero respect for the code. She's been doing this for like a long time. They get her up out of the hallway and send her on her way. She comes back and it's even worse. You guys, it's even worse. The kids mock her and stand around her as she passes out from seeing more demons. It's it's getting to be too much and finally the school starts losing faith in her and she can't believe it. She's been doing this forever. And so they send her home for a month. And then she comes back, and there he is again, mocking her, Robert. Fucking Robert. Face is contorted and turns into the demon that he is, and that is the final answer for her. That's all she needed. She needed that call, and she answered it. She went home, and she grabbed a gun, and she came back, and she shot all those assholes. Every single, not all of them, twelve. Of them <laughs> twelve. Was, twelve was more than enough. <laughs> shoots them they're dead I'm sure the scene was a massacre and she felt great so great that she wanted one of the other girls to change in front of her so she can prove her point you're all demons I just saved this town from an apocalyptic nightmare It's a. it becomes a dreamscape it goes from a nightmare to dreamscape because this is every Karen's dream she has right, no getting, trial. getting rid of all the demons all yes. the demons and no trial <laughs> that's true no trial. Yeah. and she gets work therapy that means the state has said it's okay that you killed 11 demons they were demons we think we don't know and <laughs> yeah that's gets, how it that's how it works that's how it works for karen so this is the ultimate karen like retribution fever dream if you will come to life and then in the quiet hours while she's working with these children who are never going to see the outside of this mental facility, mm. she's decided I've done my due diligence and right through the neck. And that's it. That is the ultimate Karen retribution victory story that only a Karen would dream Ooh, of in chilling. the form of Supper, the little children. 
Very, very well told, Winter. We thank you for regaling us with this story. It's got a hilarious ending, as I'm sure you know oh, everyone can agree. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Horrifying, uh, but resilient. Her resilience. Yes, her resilience in the face of the children monsters. Um, I think we uh, we need to send you back to your cabin, though. Uh, your um, your time here is over. So uh, this was wonderful, you guys. Thank you. Yes. Thank yes, you for, thank you for being here and sharing your story with us. Story. It was wonderful. I'm just going to, let me see. Is it over? Where's my, I just got lost. It, it, yeah, right down that way. Is that a, is that a, is that a, I don't remember this hole being there. Just keep walking. You'll, fu- you'll get there. I just, uh, uh, it, it, excuse me. Sir. Oh, oh boy! Well, oh. it sounds like we're three for three, best. Oh. oh, she's still maybe, dying. maybe two and a half. Maybe two and a half right now. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Oh, two two point nine five. <laughs> uh, well, we just have to hope that whatever's going on out there is just it's gotten it through its system because we got a lot more stories that we need to get through. So that's true. That's true. I think it's time to call the next camper up. Yeah. Our next camper, uh, Camper Lowry. David Lowry, are you here? I am here. Excellent. What story will you be presenting to Camp Nightmares and Dreamscapes today? Uh, a wonderful tale entitled The Night Flyer. Ooh. Excellent. Strong. Strong start. Strong start, yes. And that's only going to get better from here. Well, let's hear it. What yeah, what's it what's about? This, what's the story about? The Night Flyer is about an unscrupulous journalist at a nationally syndicated tabloid which we all are very familiar with. I'm sure every time we go to the grocery store, we pick up tabloids because we all read them all the time. And as a result, the journalists who write at them, such as the uh, protagonist of this story, Richard Dees, can afford to have uh, their own airplane and their own private private license. And they make tons of money uh, writing stories about you know monsters and killers and all sorts of terrible things. In any case... The uh, journalist in this story, Richard Dees, has come across quite the scoop. There is apparently uh, a mysterious plane traveling around the country, landing at private airports, and every time he lands and takes off, someone is found dead, drained of blood. Classic vampire material. And Richard Dees doesn't believe in vampires, doesn't believe in, in the supernatural, doesn't believe in ghosts or anything like that, but it isn't above spinning a yarn to make the front page and so he sets out to investigate in his aforementioned private plane that he somehow owns uh, (laughs) on a tabloid journalist uh salary and uh and seeks out this titular night flyer he finds that not only do vampires not only do vampires exist but that they uh urinate (laughs) the blood that they consume it's yep. something we've yes. all wondered. You know, mm-hmm. ever since I was a young lad watching vampire movies, I was like, where does the blood go? Does it just absorb into their bodies? Like, do they actually need to uh, go to the bathroom ever? Right. And the answer is yes, indeed, they do. Uh, I think that the entire crux of the story was designed to explicate that one burning question that we've all <laughs> longed for the answer for for as long as we've known about vampires. 
You know, I had never really thought about it, but it's funny you're saying this because we did a full episode on the Night Flyer, like sometime within the last year, and uh, our guest was um, Alon Gale, the creator of Fuckboy Island. Yeah. And um, he was very hung up on this bloody pee thing. Yeah. We we talked about it at length on that. I don't know why I didn't consider it as much beforehand, but I guess I always just thought their bodies absorbed the blood. That's what makes the most sense. And it's also something about vampires needing to, you know, go number one. And God (laughs) forbid they need to go number two. It sort of removes the mystique. The idea that they have some sort of like biological process that needs to get rid of something that they're intaking, like kind of removes the the magic. Uh, We don't really want to know too much about the physiology of vampires. I don't think it kind of once they, or maybe we do, maybe that's what makes the story so wonderful. And, 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 it's worth mentioning that the movie uh, is very faithful to the story and renders the vampiric urination <laughs> with exquisite detail. And yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, you read the story and imagine what it looks like and then you watch the movie and, and they capture it perfectly. Yeah, this, this begs the question, though, of you, when a human goes on an all-liquid diet, the number two situation isn't pretty. So what do you think happens with the vampires number two? Do you think that it exists at all, or do you think it's just like a watery mess? It's Man, we are making vampires of... a hell of a lot less sexy right now, aren't we? Yeah, as someone who likes to think about the sensual allure of vampires more <laughs> than the Cronenbergian Blade Two version of vampires, I like to think that they don't need to go number two. That it's just a discreet passage of fluids through the most uh, hygienic passage possible in the body and that it just happens from time to time and we don't really need to talk about it. Or maybe it's a South Park situation where they just have to cough up, uh, you know, something out of their mouth. There's part of me that that also wants that. Like, I love that. As much as I love (laughs) Brad Pitt and and Tom Cruise being romantic to one another and interview the vampire, there's also part of me that just really wants to see a geyser of blood erupting from a vampire's finger. That sounds appealing as well. <laughs> just imagine. Yeah. What a beautiful, that's the new cellar door. That phrase. <laughs> um, just, isn't it? it's so beautiful and poetic. Um, thank you for, for being here and uh, sharing this story. Unfortunately though, I, I do think it's time for you to uh, return to your cabin. Well, the hour is late and the campfire is. is dying. So I'm going to go, I'm just going to wander, wander back to, my cabin, which is right by the lake. Oh, yeah, that'll be yeah. fine. As I'm wandering off, there's something something down by the water. Wait, I'm just, I'm just going to go check out what's down by the water here. That's probably oh, just boy. crazy Ralph. He probably, he really shouldn't be. Do you know how to swim? I, I don't know how to swim. I don't, and I heard a kid drowned in that lake, so I'm not going in it. All right. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, very unfortunate. Let's uh, let's keep the party going, though. Um, who's next? I think that would be Camper Akela Cooper. Hello. Hi. Hi. I'm hey. here. What story are you going to regale us with today? Okay. Tonight, I have for everyone, Popsy. Ooh. Sounds creepy already. Yes, very. Especially because it starts with Sheridan, who, let's say, is a bit of a degenerate gambler Mm. who owes a lot of money, and to pay off his debts, he's been kidnapping children around town. Hmm. So As you do. 
as one does to pay off, you know, poker money. Probably quicker than being an Uber driver. Yeah. Unfortunately, today, Sheridan picks the wrong little boy. Ooh. So, outside of a mall, Sheridan sees this roughly six or seven year old boy crying for his lost parent, guardian, what have you. Sheridan thinks this is his chance. He's going to nab this little boy. He's going to put him in his windowless white van. And he's going to take him to the man they call the Turk, who basically fences these poor children and sends them far, far away. So Sheridan approaches the little boy, asks him if he needs help. And the little boy says, I lost my popsy. Oh, no. Sheridan promises to help the little boy find his popsy and gets him quickly into, once again, his windowless van. Mm. They start driving down the street, and the little boy realizes something's wrong fairly quickly. Now, this isn't Sheridan's first time at the child napping rodeo, so he's prepared... He's prepared to answer all of these little boys' questions, promising him that, yeah, he's just taking him around the mall because he saw his popsy in the back. But the little boy grows more and more concerned and more and more agitated to the point where he, oddly enough, starts bending the door handle off the frickin' door. Mm. Now, Sheridan thinks this kid is full of adrenaline. It's just giving him a little bit of extra boost. No big deal. Sheridan should really understand that this is a big fucking deal. But he's got gambling debts to pay off people, so he keeps doing what he's doing, driving the little boy onto the highway, deeper and deeper into the swamplands, and the little boy continues getting more and more agitated, telling Sheridan, my popsy's gonna come for me, because my popsy can smell me. He'll know where I am. Now, Anyone with two brain cells to rub together and not mountains of debt is going to go, huh, that's a weird fucking thing to say for a child. (laughs) For an adult, really. (laughs) For anyone. But Sheridan is not like regular people, and he's got to get this kid to his destination. So as the little boy becomes more and more agitated and starts breaking the door handle in, Sheridan tries to reach for a syringe that's full of a sedative. That is a bad idea, because at that point, there's a deep <coughs> on the roof of Sheridan's van. Mm. The little boy looks up and smiles and says, that's my popsy. Again, anyone would stop at this point and chuck that little kid out and drive <laughs> on. Sheridan continues driving, and now he's freaking out especially when a giant membrane-like wing covers the frickin' windshield. Mm. Sheridan slams on the brakes, and his door, the driver's side door, is ripped out. And that's when Popsy finally makes an appearance, and we can kind of guess that Popsy is a giant human vampire-like creature who rips Sheridan out of the car and drains him of his blood while also feeding his young little vampire grandchild. The it's hell. heartwarming. It really is. And you know what I love about it? It's one of those like tables turned stories mm-hmm. where you think one thing and then, oh no, the bad guy gets a beautiful comeuppance. It's really heartwarming. 
There's yeah. a really fun thing in the, uh, I think it's in the afterword on Nightmares and Dreamscapes where King says, like, is the character Popsy, like the creature, the same thing that menaces Richard D's in the, the Night, Night Flyer? Flyer? Yeah. yeah. And he's like, I'd rather think it is. Like, that's, that's a fun thing to think about. That was my immediate thought. And I didn't realize that, like, in the book, the Night Flyer is the story right before <laughs> this. So they're yep. back to back. And it's like, Oh yeah, no that that definitely, especially once you get to he has the the red cape. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I also choose to believe that it is Popsy is the Night Flyer. What do you think of the Night Flyer movie? You know that? I enjoy it, and I have to say that like that nice. movie has one of my favorite lines of dialogue ever. When the old man is describing the Night Flyer pulling in, like walking into the regional airport with his black cape, and he was like, "And is that a cape darker than a woodchuck's asshole?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, one, how do you know that? But two, that's a great description. <laughs> Kayla, you may be the only person we've ever had on this show that could quote chapter and verse "Night Flyer" to us on the air, and <laughs> we, I, I have nothing but mad respect for that. <laughs> that's all. We we are Night Flyer fans here, so oh yes, oh, yeah, much yeah. appreciated. It's like yeah. classic Miguel Ferrer too. Like, oh yeah, in a lead role. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get lost on a night flyer tangent here, and unfortunately, we do have other campers whose spooky stories we need to hear. So we'll um we'll need to say our goodbyes now and send you to your cabin, Kayla. Yeah, yeah. Be, be careful, right. Kayla, because it's darker than a woodchuck's asshole out there. So. <laughs> and really and we, we've heard some some odd things in the dark. Before. Mm-hmm. Really. Just, you know, watch your step is all I'm saying. I've got my lantern, and uh, yeah, I'll thank you guys for having me, and good luck with the rest of the stories. Absolutely. Oh. Oh, that that was crunchy. I'm sure she's fine. Yeah, on to the next one. All right, so the next camper up is Camper AG. Steve AG, are you here? I am here, Eric. Oh, nice. Scott. Nice. How are you This camper is going into puberty. I'm getting hair in places that I thought would never see the light of day. And yeah. Oh. Hair. Yeah, well, this is going to get us in trouble. So let's let's veer off of this conversation here. Uh, yeah, yes. we, we can do that. That was spooky what oh. you were just talking about. But do you have a, a, a really spooky oh, campfire story for do us? I have one for you. Ooh. It's called It Grows on You. Ooh. It's already scary. My tale takes place in the town of Castle Rock, Maine, mostly inside a country store called Brownies, where a bunch of salty old men on the downhill slope of their lives in a town that's also seen better days and kind of running down its buildings and its industry. These old men refer often to a place on the hill that everyone down below can look up and see. Uh, called the Newell House, built in 1904 by Joel Newell and his wife, Cora. They built an eyesore of a house. But as one of the old men said, eh, it grows on you. Mm. Hence the title of this terrifying is this, story. Is this spooky story just about real estate, Steve? Is this what you're bringing us? Well, kind of. Okay. Are you familiar with the Winchester House? Oh, yeah, yes. very much so. A house that kept being, this woman, this widow kept adding to. Well, yes. Much like that, the Newell House 
kept seeing additions. This eyesore of a house up on the hill kept seeing additions. It was built in 1904, but in 1929, or no, 1920, the first wing of the house was added on when it was discovered that Cora was pregnant and they were going to have their first baby. Yeah, it's tradition when you have a baby, you build a new wing on the house. Yeah, a whole wing. Little did they know that this child would be, quote, a monster with no arms and a tiny clutch of perfect fingers sticking out of one eye socket. You heard me correct. (laughs) Nice. Okay. Fingers coming out of the eye eye socket. He's beautiful, and I won't hear a word otherwise. Needless to say, the child died during birth. (laughs) Thank God for the child and for the town of Castle Rock. (laughs) A year and a half later, Joe added a cupola to the wing. Mm. I had to look that up. A couple. Yeah, that's a when you get a new dog. Is like a. <laughs> it's like a little uh, lookout dome up that you would put on top of a house. Yep, they're very common in like craftsman houses and stuff like that. The deformed infant was eventually buried on the property, uh, and the inscription on the headstone read, "Sarah Tamson Tabitha Francis Newell." January 14th, 1921. I'm assuming to January 14th, 1921. (laughs) God grant she lies still. Oh, no. I think that was just like a, hey, uh, hey God, make sure this thing doesn't get up and walk around. (laughs) Yeah, that's a hell of a thing to put on a tombstone. Now I'm taking notes. That's what I want on mine, like my tombstone. Please, God, don't let this thing get up again. (laughs) Well, not long after that, in 1924, Cora fell down the stairs in the new wing of the house and broke her neck and back. She was buried next to her deformed child. After that, not long after that, Joe started building again. Living on the property by himself, he built a barn. He thought maybe I'd become a farmer. He got some dairy cows. Eventually, they all died. In 1928, Joe started another wing of the house. He finished that a year later. And later that same year, Joel hung himself by the rafters of one of the unfinished rooms in the new wing. The house was then bought by the Bank of Southern Maine, and they owned the house as well as Joe's, uh, the mills that he owned around town that were actually very profitable for the bank. However, the bank could never sell the house. They tried once, and the last people to buy it ended up having to move not long after that because of an accident with their son and a firearm. <laughs> oh, no. We don't know if the kid died or not, but it seems like the house was probably a little bit cursed. And as we cut to the current uh, time per- timeline, one of mm-hmm. a, a new old man comes into the store, into Brownies, where all the old men are gathering, just kind of like gossiping back and forth. And he says, yeah, it looks like a new wings built, being built up on the Newell house. No one knows why. No one knows who's building that wing. Well, eventually the men start to talk about someone named Dana Roy, who just recently died of intestinal cancer, as happens to people. Mm -hmm. Uh (laughs) This is really the current, basically the gist of the whole story. Although there is a postscript that ends with them talking about a man named Gary Paulson, one of their own friends, old man, who had a dream about his younger days 
and driving past the old Newell house and seeing Cora Newell out in front. As he drove past, they made eye contact. And with a dead look on her face, she lifted up her skirt and, quote, revealed her sex. Um, like a gender reveal, guys. <laughs> a literal gender reveal. Yes. And every time since then, this Gary was young. He had never been with a woman. This was the closest he had come to even seeing someone's sex. But every time after that, as Gary grew into manhood, every time he was with a woman, just before he would climax, he would see the face, the dead-eyed stare of Cora Newell as he would climax. Oh, that's cool. So as Gary was having this dream, this flashback dream, he, of course, had a rock-hard erection. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And at that moment... (laughs) <laughs> a blood vessel ruptured in his brain, causing a clot which killed him. And his last words were, the moon. Mm-hmm. The next day, a cupola was seen being built on the new wing of the Newell house. Oh. That is the end. And it grows. It grows on you. You know, it doesn't grow on me is that story. <laughs> Man, there are... So many old men named in that store talking and gossiping. <laughs> I read this two days ago, so I'm like sitting here going, I remember nobody's name. Well, <laughs> you did a, a wonderful job retelling that. We definitely appreciate you bringing that story up as uh, weird and ultimately kind of not spooky as it was. Uh, but we do appreciate it. And uh, I think maybe good. now it might be time for you to head back to your cabin. All right. Uh, thanks. Good luck with the rest of the stories. I'm oh, going to go man. enjoy some uh, graham crackers and uh, chocolate. I don't have marshmallows, but I'm going to go. Yeah, enjoy. we're keeping the marshmallows by the fire, man. I'm going to enjoy a, a two thirds of a of a s'more. S'more. Yeah. All right. Um, thanks, have guys. Fun. See you later. Oh Jesus Christ! There's a homeless guy up here. Sorry, man. I I don't have any change. Nope. Keep walking, dude. What are you doing? Stop following. I don't have any change. Uh, go talk to Eric and Scott. They're over by the campfire. Huh. Hey, get, get, don't push me. Get, oh, my God. He's got a knife. Oh, my God. He's putting it in my stomach. He's quitting. I think he's trying to motorboat himself to safety. Oh. oh. A clever uh, gambit. The moon. All right. On to the next story. Our next storyteller is Camper Devin Sawa. Camper Sawa, are you here? Um, hi, guys. Sorry, hey. I was uh, sleeping. Oh. oh. Yeah. Are these stories boring you so far? No, no. I, I was actually uh, having a bit of a nightmare and, and remembering a story that I, that I, that I read called uh, Chattery Teeth. Ooh. Ooh. That sounds spooky. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a very spooky story that takes place deep in the Nevada desert. Uh, anything that uh, that takes place in the in the desert is is always a little bit more creepy to me. And this particular story is uh, about a man named Bill Hogan, who is on his way home. He's got to be home at a certain time, and he's rushing to get home. He's he's trying to beat a storm, um, and he stops at a convenience store to get some gas and and other things and. Uh, this convenience store is not like any other convenience store. It's a convenience store full of knickknacks. It's more. It's got that that carnival feel in there, and it's mm. it's uh, owned by a man who's dying of cancer, unfortunately, and his wife. And um, 
he walks by a, a glass case, and in this glass case, he sees this peculiar set of chattery teeth, these toy chattery teeth, but they're not just mm. any chattery teeth, they're large chattery teeth. They're chattery teeth about the size of a basketball, from what I remember. And he asks the store owner about the chattery teeth, and, and uh, the store owner offers to, to sell it to him, um, but the chattery teeth don't work. They're broken somehow. Also in the store, I have to remind you that there's a, a young fella buying cigarettes, and he looks like a um, he looks a little bit like a rat, like a rat boy. He's got a rat. Nice. <laughs> a Very rat spooky boy. young fella. And uh, our, our guy Bill Hogan, to speed things along, offers him to buy offers to buy him a pack of cigarettes because the boy doesn't have any money. He's holding things up. Um, anyways. The Soarner ends up giving the chattery teeth to Bill because Bill needs to be on his way and he leaves the store and who's outside uh, smoking his cigarettes but the rat boy and um, <laughs> he needs a ride. And uh, Bill Hogan... As all rat boys do, they always need <laughs> They always want to ride. Rat boys always want to ride, especially in a, in a, in a story like this. Um, when the storm's coming, rat boy needs a ride and the unfortunate thing is, is Bill Hogan has already had an experience with a hitchhiker uh, and, and he's really reluctant about taking this new hitchhiker, but he does anyways. He, he, he has it in his heart to take this, this young fella with him, and uh, they get on the road. He's going to drop him off at a certain place, um, you know, that's, that's not too far. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the rap boy tries to have a cigarette, and, and it gets a little tense. And anyways, it turns out that uh, the rap boy... Uh, tries to tar- carjack him along the way, and um, Bill pulls the wheel, and the and the and the car goes uh, barreling down the highway, and they crash. He wakes up, and uh, before the rap boy can do anything else, the chattery teeth come alive. Oh and it's shit! The frightening thing ever. And first, it bites off the rap boy's nose, and then it bites off his testicles. And then oh. it drags him into the desert, and that's when Bill passes out again. And uh, then we, we we cut to nine months later. Bill goes back to the store, and the, unfortunately, the store owner, the, the man, has has passed away of cancer. But his wife, who looks great now, um, owns the store, and it's it's a different place. And and uh, she tells him that the the rat boy was taken off into the desert. And, and uh, eaten by animals. And that mm. is the story, my friends, of Chattery Teeth. Yes. Have you ever encountered a, a killer pair of wind-up mechanical teeth, Devin? No, but I'm telling you, those, those Chattery Teeth have always kind of been spooky to me. And the mm. way Stephen <laughs> King describes these uh, Chattery Teeth um, is he, he has he's a master at making anything scary. And it's, it's, it's a really great story. I really Aren't they like metal in the story yeah. too? They're metal, yeah. and they're, they're, those wind-up ones. You kind of wind them up, and he winds them up at one point, and they kind of come to life, but they don't. So it's broken. So he, he's going to take them home, and he's going to he, he's going to try to fix them for his kid, and uh, and uh, you know, and what happens next happens next. I think we could all use some protector uh, metal giant chattery teeth. Uh, because there, you know, there's a lot there. of rat boys out there, and a lot of rat boys. I don't know why mm-hmm. rat boys. Of... Me. Like, that was probably just a small little thing that Stevenson wrote like, in one line, but it was like, oh, a rat boy. Oh, yeah. yeah, you really. Like, I'm sure, I have them. 
if I was casting this film, it would be very, it would be very specific. Yeah, you took the ball and ran with it on the on the Rat Boy. Yeah, thing. Paul, Paul Dano as Rat Boy. Yes, right. <laughs> well, we uh, we thank you for for being here and, and sharing this very spooky story with us. Uh, and it was in fact spooky, I think, unlike some of yeah. the stories we've heard this evening. Um, it was, it was well, you know, it's it's not the it's not the spookiest story in the book, but it but it definitely got me. That's for sure. Mm. Maybe it was Rat Boy. It was Rat well, Boy. Well, <laughs> well, well only story with a with a Rat Boy. Well, I guess Crouch End maybe comes close, but but that's oh, a little yeah. bit of a spoiler. Yeah. Uh, right. But yes, I, Rat Boys I say, equals no I will no. say this, though. I have never read the book. I have the book, and I have never read it. And that, and I, so I flipped to that story, obviously, and read it. Yeah. And now, I, as soon as I finish that story, I flip back to page one, and I'm now reading the entire book. So thank yeah. you for that. Yes. You're welcome. This is a, this is a killer, killer collection, as we, yes. as we yes. found assembling this uh, monstrosity of an episode. Um, and we're sure you're, you're going to like the rest of that book. And you'll definitely get a chance to read it all, um, especially if you head back to your cabin now. You have some reading yes. time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Who's that guy? Happy? Uh oh. Sir? So what's that thing in your hand? <laughs> oh. What? Is it a rat? Is it a rat boy, Devin? Is that gasoline? Oh my god. Oh no. Stop! No! 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 Oh! Oh! We got two campfires going now, don't we? Devin Sawa has burst into flames uh, at the hands of somebody in the woods. So, uh, campers, please watch your asses while you're making your way back to the cabin. Devin, yeah. didn't, you know, paid the price. And I'm really bummed out because that was our reserve uh, uh, generator fuel. So, hopefully, yes. we don't lose power. Um, but rest in uh, peace, Gentle Angel. Yes, yes, we will. We will miss you. Um, beware of rat boys wherever you go from here on out. Um, I guess we should probably move on to the next story now. Yeah. Yeah. Camper Josh Rubin, Camper Rubin, are you here? Oh yeah. <clears throat> hey, hey guys. Yeah. Sorry, I'm a little winded running up the steps to this here treehouse. I'm mm, sorry. This I is a bonfire. Yeah, right on. Um, I uh, <laughs> yes, I am. But um, I was just licking um. Sorry, my fingers are sticky. I'm just l- licking all that sweet, sweet, sticky marshmallow off my fingies. I so we were doing some s'moresums. Um. Is it- <laughs> you motherfucker. Mm. Mm. Uh, what, uh, what story are you going to be presenting to us, mm. uh, Camper mm. Ruben? Right on. So, oh, it's just a sweet, sweet little tale, not of a monster in a basement or a killer doll like normal people would be assigned or have in the mm. back of their mind. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought this one would just be about two maids talking in a room about one of them licking old splooge off some sheets because a witch told her to. Oh. <laughs> How's that sound? Ear, ear, earmuffs to the younger campers in the, in the, in the back. But oh, uh, yeah. go on, go on, I'm intrigued. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. no, 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 I, I'm totally, mm, sorry, just, mm, just call this, uh, sticky. You're really going to town on that hand. Yeah, that yeah, is... I, I'm, I'm one of those guys who just... <laughs> Forget about the chocolate and the gram. I just go right for that white stuff. I just melt all of my fingers and just lick, lick, lick. So anyway, right. yeah. So um, this is the tale of um, Darcy and Martha, and they're just like two best buds, maids at the old La Palaise. <laughs> it's a hotel. Um, uh, my parents are rich. And um, yeah, uh, 
one of them, I guess, like didn't fuck a writer and just took the sheets off uh, his bed and really um, didn't want to have a baby, got punched in the stomach by her abusive boyfriend and thought one day I'm going to go to a witch who told her to um, do something real nasty by taking a mushroom that kind of looks like a dick or became one. She squished in her hands and blood came out. But anyway, mm-hmm. one time she got real compelled to lick off the dried cheerum from um, some sheets. Ooh, isn't that spooky? And then she had um, <laughs> a, son, um, a son who's a famous writer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it freaks me out. Mm. Oh, sorry. I still got some marshmallow. Uh, sweet, sweet, sticky white. Um, Every time I think you're done with it, you, you turn your hand and there's another just wad of it. Kind of like in my tale. Um, I'm compelled to lick um, the marshmallow off my fingies, mm. kind of mm. in the way that Martha was to lick the splooge off dried sheets in a hotel, because um, that's what the witch made her doozies. Anyway, aren't you scared? I'm terrified. No. And, and you said this worked. She licked the splooge up and had a child that became a, a famous writer? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, anyway, yeah, and then, like, there's, um, you know, oh, and then I thought it might be cool if in the end, oh, yeah, there's this really moving part that I wrote, I guess, where it's like, yeah, the dedication that was um, in the book of the writer whose splooges she licked off is also in the um, book of, that her son wrote. Oh. Isn't that spooky? It is. It's, it is. It is. Yeah, it's, I, I uh, thought it was pretty spooky. Yet another banger from America's Prevailing Master of Horror. Josh, have you ever been um, motivated to see a fortune teller or a witch or someone who might be able to Oh, I call uh, magically interfere with your life? Or your I call, call Clairvoy at least once a year. And one time she said, children will be the great love of your life. And then other times the same one said, you'll never have children, maybe dogs. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm glad I pay the 150 every time. And Maybe uh, she meant somebody else's children. Oh, that's true. Oh, fuck. Anyway, yeah. so one-year wedding anniversary, I gotta just share this recording with her and the other campers, obviously. Mm. <laughs> yeah, how would you how would you rank this story amongst other Stephen King short stories? So this was your favorite or your most favorite, or um, I think we assigned this one to you specifically. We thought I you would have. That, a yeah, no, I know, and thank you again. Like you'd think that normally I'd get an assigned something with like, I don't know, a killer doll or a creepy scarecrow. Sure. Um, but I really appreciate being assigned the one about two maids, one of which licked <laughs> old splooge off sheets in a hotel and then tells her friend about it for 19 pages and then has a baby after crushing a mushroom dick. Um, That's right. Yeah. yeah. We take care um, of our guests here. I'm really scared, Um, but uh, no, I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, the werewolf guy, the fucking blood story. I get it, guys. Anyway, well, you're a werewolf guy. You're you're a renaissance man. You're a a, a splooge mm-hmm. man and a werewolf man. Yeah, and you're and you know at the end of the day, just look in the mirror. You're just camper Josh. That's, That's all you need you to know? be. Um, That's why they call you Joshy Comes. Yum yum. All right, I think it's about time for you to go back yeah. to your cabin. Um, be careful on the way back. We've uh, some of the other campers have had some some issues, but yeah. thank you for sharing that story with the rest of us. Yeah, no problem. Well, um, you guys have fun. Hey, hey, wait! Don't push me down those stairs that are next to the bonfire, mysterious figure. And a ah! ah! Oh, God, there's so many stairs. Fuck! Fuck! <laughs> Oh, no. Jesus Why Christ, it's the end of John Wick 4 over here. Why? I feel like the, the miner who's just rescued, except that 
Okay, go ahead and die now, Josh. All right, next up on our list, we have Camper Borg. Oh, that's got to be Flula Borg. Flula. Yes. You out there? Woo, yes. Hello, hello. Yes, it's me. Excellent to uh, excellent to see you here at Camp Nightmares and Dreamscapes. I understand you're going to be presenting us with a, uh, a spooky story today. Yes, I'm very excited to tell everyone about a, a spooky story. Oh, uh, yes. It is, I will reveal the author of it is Stephen King. Stephen King. And uh, mm-hmm. the, the story will be called The Moving Finger. Ooh. Yes. Okay, let's it sounds begin. very suggestive. Are you sure this is a horror story and not something else? Yes. I was, yes, I was not certain as well. I read this uh, just covering my ears and my eyes as I read it, sure, just in case it is a, <laughs> a reference to intercourse or perhaps diarrhea. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you never know. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so tell us what, what's the story? What's the story okay. about? Uh, the story is about Howard Middles, and he's married to a woman person named Violet Middle, and they are with Alex Trebek in the living room of a, a house. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this is when Howard needs to urinate very badly, so he goes to his toilet, and he notices a strange appendage coming out of the sink, yeah. and it's not one of his own. <laughs> Yeah, and so then he has a little a freak out, you know, and, but he doesn't say nothing to Violet. He's one of those like, I'm a man-man. I say nothing about my troubles. I just dump them deep down inside and shovel, 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 you know. And so yeah. uh, then Violet goes to the toilet. And do you know what she sees? What does she see? Oh, Another just, appendage? No, just nothing, just nothing. Just, uh, just oh. a normal toilet and uh, some Is she blind? Oh, a very good question. Uh, there are no tippy-tappies that she makes. There are some tippy-tappies that something else makes in the story. Mm. But I think she is of full sight, or at least I would say one, perhaps one or 1.5 eyes minimum. Fair, fair. Yeah. So you think this appendage then, according to the story, is hiding from her, but not the guy. I think so. I think this appendage, uh, maybe, I, I don't know if it like likes Howard, if it's maybe some like, hey, or, or like maybe like in high school, they were like rivals in the like mm. a racquetball team or something. <laughs> and so he's coming back, coming back. Um, okay, so so to return is very important. Howard goes back and it's a finger mm. it's in the sink. It's a sink finger, a single. Oh, like in the title. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah, exactly. That's where the title comes from. This is not like a thing where you don't like Shawshank Redemption. You're like, what? Who is a Shawshank? And what is the word? No, no. It's a moving finger. It's a moving finger. Well, we've been saying appendage, and I was hoping that this might go in a different direction. Oh. But I, I'll, I'm fine with finger. You wanted yeah. a, Did you want a, a dong? Or what did you want? Maybe. I don't know. So, okay. Chuck what? Tingle didn't write this one, so <laughs> that wouldn't be that one. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Tingle, Tingle, well, we won't talk about what Tingle wrote. <laughs> Um, okay, so he leaves the toilet. Violet comes back, and the towels are on the floor. And he's, she's like, "Are you such a sloppy boy?" And he said, "No, it wasn't me." Fast forward to the future, where Violet, who is a dentist or a dental assistant, or she loves teeth. I, I was reading uh, very quickly because I'm nervous with scary stories. Um, mm-hmm. She is away, and the finger is out, and it's ready to attack big time. It's like trying to reach. I don't know if it wants to pick Howard's nose or what is occurring. Uh, why? I, I, and Howard does have 10 fingers in my mind. Did you guys? Do you? Do you yes. Think? Yes. Okay. Yes. I believe he that this isn't his ghost finger haunting him. No. I not a ghost. It's actual right. finger. Yeah. Okay. And so it's now. It's a strange begins, finger. It's a very weird finger because it starts to grow more knuck- knuckles. Knuckles? Mm. Lots knuckles, of, yep. Yeah, lots of knuckles. Um, and so he's uh, freaking out, Howard. So he tries to uh, he tries to uh, assassinate the finger, 
and he uh, finds some cleaning fluids and he tries this and this does not work. Then he tries to find some hedge clippers, which I think sounds like something for really long nails or something. I'm not yep. certain, but yeah. And so then he starts to just slice and slice and dice. It's like the Waffle House potato, sliced and diced and covered and chunked. And it's just fingers are all over the house and it's very noisy. And so I think it's the neighbor, I forget, the Ed O'Bannon, Charles O'Bannon, one of the O'Bannons from the UCLA. Dan O'Bannon. Dan O'Bannon. Yeah. No, that's the writer of Alien. Oh, uh, well, someone O'Bannon, <laughs> someone O'Bannon is very angry at the noise and they call the uh, police persons. And so a police person arrives and it is a big, it's a big funky mess, guys. And it's mm. blood every place. Howard... Howard is now in the toilet region. Oh, I forgot he vomited before. Oops. Mm. He was very sick. Sorry, let's rewind. He was looking at the finger and he was pouring the fluids on it. Some mm. fluids, uh, some, some kind of fluids. And then he was receiving sickness and then he vomited on his toilet, but he forgot to lift the seat. Oh, oh gross. <laughs> That's yeah. the worst thing that you've said so far about this. I know, it's terrible. Yeah, I've done that two times. Have you? Oh, yeah. Just before we recorded this. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. <laughs> well, that's because Scott's bulimic. We haven't yeah, really discussed that on air, but... Uh, yeah. Oh, it sounds uh, like uh, the subject of a whole new podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll get, we'll get there. Put into it, okay. <laughs> um, so, okay, so now to fast forward. There's vomit, there's blood. Uh, Howard is in the tub, and he's still holding the clippers of Hedge, and they have no more batteries, and the police person is like, you have definitely murdered Violet, you have murdered Alex Trebek, where are the bodies, mm. you know? And so Howard is like, I don't know. And then knocky, knocky, knocky. What, what is happening? The toilet. There's a knock. A knock. A, a knock on the toilet seat. A knock from some knuckles? Some knuckles. We don't know. We don't know. And then mm. so the policeman is very much afraid. And Howard's like, I don't know. Do you want to open it and see what happens <laughs> in your life? And then the policeman is like, uh, 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 the end. Oh, it's an abrupt ending. Yeah, it is an abrupt ending. It is, but uh, but rich and and compelling. The imagery to me, you guys, of the long finger with like a bazillion knuckles yeah. is probably the grossest fucking thing that I've ever heard. By the way, I don't know really? why it is with knuckles, but that really weirds me out. It grosses me out. I I don't like it as well. I was I did like that it was no this one finger and no opposing uh, thumbs, so very difficult yep. to like operate scissors. You know, or perhaps close a Ziploc bag. Yeah, it seems like a very ineffective creature. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Like I'm not, would you would you be scared if you encountered uh, a many knuckled, many knuckled uh, finger emerging from a, a drain or a toilet in your house? Will no. If it was like a Triceratops, I would be afraid. You know, yes, the, of course. The of three course. spikes and the shield and a very low center of gravity, mm -hmm. uh, but just uh, several knuckles. Uh, no, okay, double, double, toil and knuckle. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> Nobody cares. Just knuckle is a character in Greece, right? Oh, <laughs> is it? I believe so. Yes, it's his cousin Kaniki. Kaniki. Oh, I see. oh yeah. yeah, he plays for the New York Knickerbockers. Knickerbockers. Yes, yes, yes. Wonderful. Well, well, thank you for for being here and and sharing this wonderful knuckled story with us. I think now it's safe for you to head on back to your cabin. Oh, thank you very much. I will leave now. Bye-bye to you. Do -de -do, -do, do do Oh, hello. Hello, sir. What's this? Oh, oh, it looks like a ghost pepper. Oh, it seems spicy. Let me try it. Yeah!
I think Flula might have just erupted in flames from eating a too hot pepper from some strange man in a mask in the woods. Is that what I just saw? That uh, that's certainly what that appeared to be. Um, but let's uh, huh. you know, let's keep this party going. You know, we can't keep taking these pauses. All right. So the next camper up is camper Michael Kennedy. Michael, are you here? Oh, I'm here. Uh, how are things? How's are you eating some s'mores? <laughs> eating s'mores, drinking a mocktail. Yes. L- yes. Last time I was at camp, I got too drunk. Yeah, so. but remember we got an angry letter from your parents for letting that happen. So <laughs> that's uh, true. Don't tell them. Don't tell them that uh, that we're letting you do this again. Uh, but uh, we can't observe people at all times, and if the campers are making toilet wine like they're in prison, that's that's not necessarily our fault. <laughs> we can't be everywhere at once. There's only two I make of really us. good toilet wine too. People are mad I'm not making that's it true. this year. That's true. Yeah. I've had some of it. A lot of floral notes in that. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, I thought you were going to go nutty notes <laughs> and go the uh, the exact opposite realm. But uh, let's let's avoid the poop humor and let's see uh, what your story is. What what story are you here to, to tell us about? I'm. Uh, have you guys ever read uh, the short story Sneakers? Let's hear it's it. A really scary story. So it's about this guy. I believe his name is Hill, and he's this like sound guy, record guy, works in the music industry, wanted to be a musician when he was younger, but realized he worked, worked behind the scenes. So he's living in New York, trying to trying to make a living doing this stuff. And he has a friend named Peter, who invites him to work on uh, a death metal album that they both think is the shittiest thing in the world. His buddy that asked him to help work on this album has been in the business a very long time. Hill is really grateful to this man. He almost sees him as a mentor. So they go and uh, they're recording the shitty death metal album and Mr. Hill has to take a shit as we do. I do daily. I hope you guys do yeah. too. Just and just not in your wine. You do that. <laughs> not in my wine, different toilet. All right. Hill goes to the bathroom and you know he's sitting in the third stall. He has a favorite stall. Uh, I think which I did at work too. And yes. uh <laughs> You know, in the first stall, he notices these pair of white sneakers, but they're not really white because they're so worn in and Mm -hmm. dirty and old. And he's kind of captivated by them because they don't move. He notices like one of the eyelids is like kind of weird without a lace in it. And there might be a dead fly next to the shoe. Mm. But, you know, he does his business, gets up, quickly forgets about it, continues on his way. They finish this album. A couple weeks go by. He's, you know, Hill's out of work again. And every once in a while, he keeps he, he thinks of these shoes. And he can't get the shoes out of his head every once in a while. And he notices that he's thinking about them in random situations, too, like when he's watching TV or in bed trying to sleep. just comes to him. But work is getting slow, and he's starting to worry about money. And his buddy Hastings calls him again and is like, you know, that shitty metal album we worked on is charting. I think it's going to hit the top ten. Have a, it might have a hit album on our hands inadvertently. And Hill's like, great, how about we make another album? He's like, just, you know, I I have an album that you can come work on, and it's Roger Daltrey's from The Who. And he's like, oh, cool. So his his, uh, mentor slash buddy gives him another gig, and he once again finds himself in the bathroom, and he sees the same pair of shoes, and they're in the same spot. That is spooky. It's spooky, and it's like they've never moved. And he sees a fly land on them, and the fly immediately dies. Then he notices more bugs. There's several several flies, maybe a turned over cockroach. And he's like, "Did someone die in that stall?" And he starts running through, like, what that might look like. Did someone die months ago? Because it's been months since he's been there. And he's like, "Well, no." 
even if they don't clean the shit or someone's got to change the toilet paper like maybe every other day. So someone would have found this dead body. But, you know, he wipes, does his business, leaves, shoes never move again. And uh, one day after recording, Hill and Hastings are having beers after work discussing the album when he is sideswiped by Hastings grabbing his cock for some fucking reason in this story. Earmuffs Um, campers. Yeah, earmuffs, uh, some forced touching, gay forced touching for some reason that actually really has nothing to do with the story. Um, but it's there. No. <laughs> and Hill is a little perturbed, but he also is in shock. And Hastings, who's is a bit of an older guy, just kind of throws it off. as like, I thought you were ready to come out. And he's like, dude, I'm not gay. So Hastings quickly is like, well, why don't we agree that it didn't happen? And Hill's feeling a little weird, but also is like, this is the only guy giving me work. So he agrees to say it never happened. And for some of you homophobic campers out there, that might be the scariest part of the story. (laughs) Um, But it continues and they're back in the office working. Hill at this point has decided he's no longer going to shit the third floor stall. So he goes up to different floors and stuff. But one day as he's leaving to go take a shit, he finds himself in the third floor same stall that he's always in he's like how did i get here i think i just lost like eight seconds of my life and the shoes are still there they're still there they still haven't moved they've just accumulated more dead bugs and spiders and flies and shit so he's like starting to get freaked out slowly walks by the stall hoping that maybe some sort of movement or something will cause the person inside to move but nothing happens Um, But he's officially spooked now because he's like constantly thinking about the shoes and seeing the shoes every time he goes in there and trying to avoid the shoes, but somehow ending up in that bathroom. So one night he's alone at the station or the recording booth and Hastings assistant, I think it is, is there. And he kind of brings up the shoes without bringing up the shoes and the assistant's like, oh, the shoes? Like, yeah, there's a ghost in this building. He's in that bathroom and he's got these white shoes you know, this young kid reveals that back in the seventies when this was a recording powerhouse building and everyone was doing Coke into the eighties when everyone thought Coke was like taking an aspirin, which kind of, kind of wish I was alive for that or older for that. Um, (laughs) He reveals that this Coke runner, there was like a regular Coke runner to the building and he'd come in with a briefcase full of Coke and he'd started the sixth floor and make his way down. And when he'd leave the briefcase, case would be empty of coke but full of money in one day this guy stops and takes a shit in the third floor bathroom and someone fucking kills him that's the coke business for you yeah someone fucking kills him or he thinks someone killed someone they think someone killed him but hill remembers that when he was in the bathroom earlier he like had this vision of him opening the bathroom door did he have a nightmare or something like that Mm -hmm. and sees that he's the person sitting on the toilet and he's talking to himself. And I was like, who are you? And he's like, I was killed. And he remembers someone told him, whether it was a famous author or something, he read that when you see a ghost, sometimes the first thing you see is yourself because it's the most comfortable way to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And slowly the person morphs into this Coke dealer. And this young record assistant starts telling the story about how someone killed him, basically for the money, managed to get rid of the body but the ghost has stayed locked imagine being a ghost and staying locked in your shitter stall Jesus <laughs> Christ. as the kid continues the story the facts start lining up that fucking hastings was the one to kill the drug runner mm-hmm. and that's why the ghost is there and that's really it there's no scary yeah. ending 
Yeah. Other than that, he was working for a murderer. Haunted shoes, yeah, murder, and like you said, the worst possible place for a ghost to rest. He doesn't get his fancy room 217 to lounge in. He's got to sit in the toilet. Yeah, but he's uh, sit on the but, toilet for the rest of eternity, taking a ghost shit. I feel, I I like feel bad for him, but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I feel bad for him. But we also have a few other campers waiting to tell their story, okay. so I think I think it's about time that you head back to your bunk. Oh, um, fun! Okay. You know, watch your step. We've heard some some weird things happening out there, but okay. there's not a slasher. I'll say that. All right. Well, I'll make right sure now. I'm safe. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm gonna take my flashlight and start walking. No. <laughs> oh. Instant death on that one. Yes. Well, I'm not I'm even sure what to say anymore. We've we've lost a lot of campers tonight, but let's uh, let's keep it going and hope that it stops. All right. Next up, we have uh, camper. Let's see, Johnson here. James Austin Johnson. Are you in the audience? Yep. Uh, here I am. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Hey. Uh, you have a spooky story you'd like to uh, share with everyone. The spooky story that I would like to share is, you know, what could be more um, delicious than a double cheeseburger? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's right. better than mm-hmm. cherry pie. Not a goddamn these, thing, I think. These things are American classics, and um, like all baby boomer culture, we need to talk about them constantly every day, mm-hmm. or mysteriously, like a bunch of rest stops in between... El Paso and Phoenix <laughs> will just no longer have any more light up Marilyn Monroe um, art uh, <laughs> made of crappy plastic. Uh, there will be no more sort of weird car collections. You know how like guys mm-hmm. collect cars, you know, like right. how the, the generation who currently is preventing any action being taken on climate change, you know how they literally collect cars, you know, with uh, diesel engines. Um Calling out uh, Jay Leno. I appreciate it, but yes. Like like Jay Leno, uh, who's just so funny. Um, Everyone loves Jay. Really funny guy. What if I told you that you could take those things, which are, of course, pure, beautiful Americana, things that never got old, things that society never wanted to evolve from mm-hmm. and uh, or beyond. What if I told you that those things could actually have uh, uh, like a sinister underbelly? What? Uh, no. Yeah. What if you were like in a uh, small town and you went back in time to the 50s, which as far as I understand is not a horror trope that has really been explored much. I don't <laughs> think I've ever seen sort of characters from our time go through a time portal and, and end up back in the um, doo-woppy 50s. Have you guys ever seen that kind of no. thing before on every television program no. since the beginning of television? No, no not no. at all. Like and and it seems it like a little problematic, too, because once you're there, how would you get back to the future? You know, I feel like I'm not selling this story well enough. Um, well, what is okay. the story? Well, here's the thing. Yes, The story's called They Got a Hell of a Band, and it's from... Um, uh, it's from... Uh, no. In my mind, it has a shorter title than it really does, just like the Shawshank Redemption. Ah. Of course, <laughs> in different seasons, the Shawshank Redemption's full name is Hope Springs Eternal Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> um, and in my head, this one's just called Hell of a Band. But I think the full title of it is, Girl, you know these these big boppers <laughs> got a hell of a band down here in Boogie yeah. Woogie Rock-a-Boogieville double cheeseburger. Yep. And um, yep. that's the okay. copywritten title. Yes. <laughs> I love the story. I remember reading it a long time ago. I even have like a uh, notebook back in my um, 
in my like pile of notebooks from growing up where I have written my own sort of like Stephen King, alcoholic man and like terrified wife on a road trip. <laughs> you know, like I, I started a story that exact way. And I think Stephen King just really loves this setup of like guys, a douche lady's a little bit of a <laughs> yeah. pushover, but she's the final girl and she needs to make it to the monster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, guy gets taken, taken out quickly, leaving her without muscle as the demons close in. This one is especially fun because I feel like there is a taste of the golly gee, being a boomer is great, Stephen King, that, you know, he always pops up. You know what I mean? He's always, mm-hmm. you're reading a wonderful horror story and then out of nowhere he goes, and then we turned on something really rocking, like some Shooter Jennings or some Ace. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, Uncle Steve, hi. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this one is like it's a it's almost like he's dunking on the Uncle Steve persona. It's almost like he's bit, yeah. taking out that little cheeseburger guy and is sort of like um trying to do something with it. I don't I don't know if the story truly carries it off. There is some wonderful gruesomeness from Buddy Holly of all people, but I'll I'll be honest, I was expecting a little bit more menace from Elvis. I think right. I was expecting just a little bit more violence in general. Um, uh, when I first read it, it seemed a little corny. You know, when I first read it in the 2000s, it was like, this story is a little corny. Reading it uh, 20 years later, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, yeah, I would say. It has not improved. <laughs> yeah, I feel, I, I feel like it's distinctly lacking in uh, the menace it's hoping to achieve, hmm. which is... Uh, which is which is kind of a bummer because I see what he's doing. There's the 50s that is squeaky clean, and you're like, oh, how could this ever be muddied by uh, violence or um, sexual depravity or or any of the things that the 60s later came to represent? But then you have right. the 60s people coming in, and and they're stuck in the 50s. I think that there's a little bit of like. Uh, a timeline problem where I'm not mm. so scared of Dwayne Allman. You know, by the <laughs> by, by the end of the story. <laughs> I'm not really scared of Dwayne Allman. And I know that this wasn't written back then, but uh, I was really hoping for a Cobain appearance and um, was really sad not to get it. On the other hand, though, what could be more terrifying than being trapped in a location with Jim Morrison for eternity? Do you have any idea how annoying that would be? I would <laughs> I would ask one of the million uh, OnlyFans performers who live in NoHo Hollywood because uh, all of their boyfriends are just Jim Morrison by default. I mean, if you are... <laughs> you're going to live in North Hollywood, you have to be that guy. You have to be um, sort of a fake uh, philosopher who is mostly sort of a sexy clothes wearer. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That is sort of how I feel about Jim Morrison. Um, and you know what? It's just, I think it's just really sad. I think that the scariest people who could appear in the story are not dead yet. That's what's funny is like, <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the people that I think would be most terrifying um uh did not die young. I feel I feel like that's I know that's what he's trying to do with the story is like, you know, oh, innocence is lost here. They they've gone to hell and now they've become monsters, but it's just yeah. it's it is really hard for the same reason that this guy can't stop returning to sort of boomer boomerifics all the time. It's like, oh, it's just it's impenetrable culture to draw from in that same way it is impossible to topple the public perception of buddy holly he is it's just he's not scary and when he <laughs> when he digs his fingers into your flesh it's buddy holly i'm not scared it's it, it's not I, you would have to 
take buddy and Stephen King. I hope you're listening, Stephen King. You would have to, <laughs> you would have to invent me a new guy, make me love him, and then undercut him. You would, you would have to fictionalize a Buddy Holly like persona mm. for me to, uh, I think, quiver the way I'm, I think the story would like me to. But I, it's just too nice to see Buddy Holly again. It's too nice to see Roy Orbison. I'm, mm, yeah. I mean, I'm just Otis like, Redding and yeah, Otis Redding and I guess. Would Roy have been, when this was written, the most recent rock and roll casualty? Uh, I believe so. Dead? Yeah, because yeah, he didn't die like right in his prime like almost everybody else that's shown in, the, in this rock and roll heaven that these two weirdos find themselves in. I know. It's, yeah. I, I, my book says 1993, but I, I, I would venture that the story is maybe written a little bit earlier. But this is right around the time of that Traveling Wilburys music video. Where all the Wilburys are hanging out, and when Roy's verses come up, you know they go to a little like framed portrait of him that's really sweet and looks like the Growing Pains theme song. And, yeah. um, it's hard to make me afraid of Roy Orbison because he is um, sort of a sweet. He's been first of all, he's been a ghost. His persona is that of a ghost. So introducing fifty-three-year-old Roy Orbison, who's a chubbier ghost, who is in. The fabulous traveling Woolbreeze, last I remembered. I ain't I ain't scared of these ghosts. Do you think you would be more scared if they were all people that you had grown up listening to? Let's see, who are the rock stars that died during my lifetime? If it was Cobain, if it was Lane Staley, fucking um, who else is dead? There was uh, you know like a member of TLC, uh, George Harrison died. Oh while yeah, I was alive. Left Eye Lopez. You know, Aaliyah. You know, there there are certain um, that doesn't rock strike stars very that come to mind. Yeah, scary either. But um, I'm about as scared of the story as I am of Chuck Klosterman's Killing Yourself to Live, which is to say, (laughs) not very, and uh, I still like it a whole lot, because I like hanging out with rock and roll weirdos, and uh, if you want more information about the death of Dwayne Allman, you definitely want to check out that Klosterman book. I um, have zero interest in the Allman Brothers, and I learned a lot from reading that book, because I would not have uh, looked that up independently. Well, the story wasn't scary, but perhaps your walk back to your cabin will be uh, a little frightening. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Now, now you, now you stop that. Now you let go of my arm. Uh, I, oh, no. I, I'm still waiting to, to be on television again. How, how oh. does this keep happening? Hey, hey, hey. Is he? I'm just a guy. Yeah, it sounds oh, no. like he's being manhandled, probably by the not slasher that's in the area. Yeah, so you know, all the rest of you campers, keep it keep it cool. It's totally fine. I think he's just playing with us again. Yeah. We got a lot of pranksters here. He's a funny man. He's on television. He tells jokes. Grow up. All right. I suppose we should move on to our next camper. Is there a uh, a camper Tingle in the audience? Chuck Tingle. I am here. Excellent. I'm, I'm, yes. Please, uh, please come up by the uh, the campfire here, and um, I understand that you're going to tell us about a story called Home Delivery. Oh, yeah, I'm going to try to on up here. Very nice, uh, spooky camp you got here. Thank you. Um, yeah. We may have a slasher problem. I don't know if you've heard about that, but just try to, you know, well, stay in the well-lit areas. I will say, I, you know, my story, I intended to uh, tell a story about a, a home delivery of uh, maybe, you know, getting uh, something off the Internet delivered <laughs> to you. But mm-hmm. we're pretty dang far out here in the woods. And then <laughs> I also don't want to dang a slasher to get the uh, delivery person. So I think last minute I'm, I'm going to change it uh, to home delivery about maybe uh, having a baby during mm. a zombie apocalypse. So I'm going to think this story's probably uh, 
going to be about uh, maybe, uh, you know, pretty standard um, zombie apocalypse story, except for it's not. Um, uh, because uh, I, I think that what's interesting about this one is a lot of zombie stories uh, are about kind of, well, I'm going to say this, zombies are generally the protagonists of their mm. stories. Um, most people don't really consider that, but when you think about it, everybody's just reacting to what the zombies do. They they show up, and then every action that, that our heroes take is driven by how are we going to avoid the zombies more. Zombies are always driving the action. Right. Um, and Home Delivery is a tale that I think is an interesting twist that you might not notice because pretty much all the action in this story is driven by main character, name of uh, Maddie, I believe. Um, and because, you know, in a traditional zombie story, you got to find shelter, right? They already have shelter in this story. Uh, they're on a dang island. They're protected. So they got to go out and decide, hey, I'm going to fight back. I'm going to go into the dang cemetery and lead an attack on the zombies. Um, I'm going to go to the space station that's causing all the zombies <laughs> to dang, uh, trot around and, and have their day in the sun. I'm going to stop it. Uh, and, um, and then it kind of ends heroically when old Manny uh, gives, a, uh, gives a home delivery uh, to a child. Um, very hopeful, very proactive zombie story, which is kind of the opposite of, of most of them. They already, they're already surviving on this island, and this is more of a story. How are we going to fight back? Uh, so the protagonists are actually the, the people in this one. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you feel you would fare in a zombie apocalypse type situation, Chuck? Oh, very well, because uh, I think that uh, I'm pretty friendly, Buckaroo. And, sure. uh, and, and you know, I think there's probably a bit of humanity in there somewhere. So I'm going to say to the zombie trotting towards me and just say, oh, you wouldn't eat old Chuck Pingo, would you? And uh, <laughs> I, think, I think that could be pretty dang convincing uh, because, you know, that they're not going to, I don't know. I think I've, I think I've established some goodwill over the years that mm. even a zombie couldn't resist. You've certainly established a lot of goodwill. I don't know if zombies are readers um and i probably think, not probably not and i think that um i don't know i don't know if i agree on you in in, in terms of them having a a shred of of humanity left I, I suppose you could just walk up to them and say love is real and see if they repeat it back and if not then you gotta start That's, swinging that is the test um, <laughs> and, and in the home delivery um you know there is a moment between uh spouses uh a zombie spouse and a human spouse, and it does not go well. So um, maybe my plan is not uh, sufficient. So we'll see. I, it kind of depends on if it is a uh, stumbling zombie or a running zombie also, because um, yes. I can trot pretty dang fast. Uh, <laughs> so I can playfully trot up the road away from a slow zombie. Uh, but I could probably now not outrun them with my trap. <laughs> I, I I think that's a good plan. Um, do you have any thoughts on living on an island, real quick, before we wrap up here? Uh, well, uh, I think that uh, I've spent some time on a couple of islands. I enjoy the peace, and uh, I do not enjoy. Uh, ironically, I do not enjoy the home delivery uh, systems there. Not for birth. <laughs> But for getting your packages, 
Yeah. Everything costs more on an island. Yeah, so, that's uh, true. So I would not be on the island of this this tale. Fair enough. Um, well, I think that that about does it for for your story, Camper Tingle. So you are you are free to to head back to your cabin. Oh dang! Well, it's, it's kind of dark. You know, use your 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 scouts training, and uh, you'll be fine. Yes. I just you know I'm gonna trot back mm-hmm. and uh, playfully and trot. Yes, <laughs> playfully trot back through the woods, uh, stomping on the ferns, uh, the leaves. Uh, creating the ruckus, and I think if I am loud enough, then you will know that I am safe. So I'm going to try back now. Very well. Okay, here we go. Trotting through the leaves. Ah, here we go. Uh, and uh, okay, safe so far. About uh, 20 dang yards away, and the uh, forest is dark, and uh, I'm doing good, so I'm going to keep trotting and uh, yeah, he got got. Oh no! Well, another another sad end for another guest here at Camp Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Everybody. I hope you're enjoying the 200th anniversary episode that we got going on for you. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be a big special occasion here at the KingCast if we didn't welcome back one of our favorite sponsors. That's right. We're talking about the good folks at Lumi Labs. Longtime listeners already know about Lumi Labs. Well, let me fill you in if you're coming a brand new, like a, a newborn babe into the show. And if you're doing that with our this crazy episode that we're doing here, then uh, good on you. That's right. It's once again time to sing the praises of microdosing. That's where you take a little THC gummy throughout the day to maintain your chill. You're not getting high, mind you. You're just kind of keeping a little relaxed. For me, these Lumi gummies have been a godsend. Uh, I have a real hard time maintaining what would uh, be termed a normal human being sleep schedule. <laughs> I, I love uh, nothing more than staying up into the wee hours of the morning, and uh, that can kind of screw over your, uh, I don't know, human hours life. So uh, these Lumi Labs gummies have been a godsend in actually helping me relax and get to sleep at a normal human hour. That's how uh, I use them. Uh, this product is aimed at helping you relax, and I can vouch it works. The best part is Lumi's THC gummies are available nationwide, and they aren't affected by your state's marijuana laws because they use a synthetic THC strain. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com, and if you like what you see, you can use the code KINGCAST to save 30% off your first order and get free shipping. Again, that's microdose.com, code KINGCAST. Very well done. And uh, I have word here from another one of our sponsors, which is Image Comics and their brand new uh, graphic novel, Parasocial. In the middle of the pandemic, a fading genre TV actor collides with an obsessive fan at a Texas convention. When she lures him into her home, he'll have to put on the greatest performance of his life simply to survive until morning. Unless, of course, he's the real monster. From the best-selling, critically acclaimed Dracula mother mother effer, I am. It, it's called Dracula mother effer, but I almost said Dracula motherfucker, which I'm <laughs> imagining the creators of this book are used to hearing. Um, 
we'll leave all this in, but I'll start that sentence over since I interrupted myself. From the best-selling, critically acclaimed Dracula mother effer duo, Alex DeCampi and Erica Henderson, don't miss their new thriller graphic novel, Parasocial, available now from Image Comics. Well done to you as well. Thank Counselor you. Wampler, I think it's time we get back to that campfire, yeah? Yep, yep. More s'mores on the way. I guess it's time to call up another camper. Let's see. Next on the list is Camper Lux. Laura Lux, are you here? Yes, I am. Hi. Oh, hi. Tell us, tell us what story you got for us. Today I have a very, very spooky story about a young couple who venture into a new town, small town Maine, and meet a terrible, terrible fate. They are moving to a small town, this young couple, <laughs> pursuing a new career, and things seem a little odd. You know, it's a small town and the windows are kind of boarded up and they're like, okay, like maybe maybe it's just the time of year, what's going on. Surely there's going to be a bit more happening in this town. But they stop, they find a little general store and they stop and they say, okay, let's, let's see what's going on here. And there's an old man. Hmm. The old man, he seems friendly enough to begin with, but... Something about him just doesn't seem quite right. He's a little wary of them. <laughs> and <laughs> I think wary is the right word. He has an old dog sitting at his feet, and this man's very, very old. And he's kind of saying he's heard of them before. Mm. He's like, oh, you're, you're the people that are coming to this town. So he, they're like, how, how have you heard about us? You know, how, how do you know that we're coming? And it turns out that one of their, I believe it was their friend's great aunt lived in the town, something like that. And she had said these new city folk are coming to the town. So everyone knew word spreads in a small town, right? But this man's kind of like, I don't know, he seems apprehensive about them being there. And then they're greeted by another woman who comes out of the general store and she's carrying quite a lot of beer with her. And she's also kind of, okay, I've, I've heard of you guys coming. And then they say to them, you know, we realize that this house that you're going to be living in is, it's a very, very nice house, but maybe just for tonight, just for tonight, it would be better if you guys went and stayed in this motel. And they're mm. like, why would we stay in the motel? They say, well, I mean, you've noticed the humidity, right? And that was something that, you know, they had been commenting on the whole drive there was the fact that the air temperature was so disgustingly humid that it kind of felt like you could almost swim through the air. And, you know, they were saying, we've never really experienced a humidity like this before. Hmm. And the, the old man and the old woman, they said, you know, this is just, just tonight, go and stay in this hotel house, this motel outside of town. And the people, you know, this couple, they're kind of like, well, you guys are being ridiculous. You're just trying to haze us. You're just trying to scare us. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, this is, right. this is fucking insane. And finally, this old woman says to them, 
Tonight is the one night of the year in this town where toads rain out of the sky. <laughs> and at this point, the couple are just like, okay, like, come on. Like, but also like these people seem very convinced, you know, they're really like, no, seriously, like you need to not be here tonight because toads are going to rain out of the sky. And they're mm. just like, okay, like this is obviously like a practical joke that's being played on us. But also it's kind of scary because they are like way, way too into this practical joke. So they end up being like, let's just go and find somewhere to eat. So they go to another town and they get some dinner and they kind of talk about what happened and they calm down. And they note while they're at dinner in the neighboring town, they don't feel like it's quite so humid there. Hmm. And they're like, huh, that's kind of odd, but you know. And they see the motel that they were suggested to stay at and they have a little laugh. And by this point, they're kind of like, okay, that was really fucking weird. But like, let's just go to the house and like, everything's going to be fine. So they go to the house, they go to sleep. And then suddenly during the night, they're woken up. Thump. And they're like, what was that? Oh, and then shit. they hear thump, thump, thump. So they wake up and they think, Uh, It has like this practical joke. How far are these people taking it? They must be out there throwing stones at the house. They must be really trying to scare us. So they're angry. You know, they're like, what the fuck is going on? And they storm downstairs and they see a toad Hmm. and they see another toad. And suddenly there's toads flying through the windows, smashing the windows and there's toads everywhere. But then they see the toads and they realize that's, that doesn't look like any other toad that I have ever seen before because this toad was black and had glowing eyes and big, sharp teeth. Mm. The toad jumps on them and it bites them and they realize these ain't no regular toads and the thumping is thumping and thumping and they're hearing it all over the house. They're pouring through the windows. They're trying to fight these toads. They're hitting them out of the way. They're smushing them and they just explode into a pile of black goo but they just can't fight how many toads are coming. So they run into the basement. There's toads everywhere. They have the door barricaded and they're like, okay, we just have to like make it through the night. They fortify the windows. They build, oh, fuck, sorry. My cat just jumped up on the thing. Right? <laughs> there are supposed to be no cats at this camp. Yeah, we no. talked yeah. about that in your intake work, paperwork. Yeah. Although it, um, it is appropriate to have a cat jump scare in our, in, in yes. our uh, spooky season right now. Okay, where was I? So... This is all staying. I've got to kick the cat out. He's like trying to chew the cables. Get out! Oh, you are so bad. Out! You sure it's a cat, not a a toad? All right, all campers, just remain calm while Camper Lux deals with this. We're leaving this all in. (laughs) Sorry about that. So they run down into the basement thinking maybe they can barricade themselves in there and they just keep hearing thump, 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 thump. It's getting louder and louder and more toads are coming down from the sky. So they lock themselves in the basement and they think maybe down here we can be safe at least till morning and then try and figure out what's going on. We can try and call for help. So they barricade the windows. The toads are trying to get in and a couple of toads get in. They sink their teeth into them. They realize these toads are out to kill. They know that they have to find a way to stay safe. So they have the windows barricaded. They're down in the basement. And then suddenly, through a vent in the basement, comes a heaving swarm of toads. And they realize that there is nothing that they can do. They're covered in toads. The toads 
devour them. And that's it. Oh. <laughs> wow. Pretty good. Yes. Pretty good. And yeah. then the next morning, the town awakens, covered in black goo. And as the sun hits it, the goo evaporates, turns white into a mist up into the air. And the old man and the old woman from the porch, from the store, come out and they say, it's such a shame. They seemed like nice people, but that's just part of the ritual. We have to tell them what's going to happen. They have to not believe us and they have to come back. Very well done. Yeah, I was on the edge of my seat that whole time. Yeah, this was a this was actually a legit scary story. Very, very, very well done. <laughs> Thank you. Um, unfortunately, that is the end of your time, and we are going to have to invite you to return to your cabin now. Okay, guys. Well, thanks for having me. I'm gonna. Um, I'll make my way back and go to bed. Yes, very well. Um, be careful out there. We we heard some of the other campers are having some problems on their way to the the cabins, but uh, nothing oh, you shouldn't I'm, be able to handle. I'm fine. I can handle myself. I'm I'm very strong. No frogs or anything. I'm sure. No frogs. Oh no! Probably just cat. What is that? It's a rustling. Oh oh my god! Oh, oh! It's just a bunny. Oh, oh! It's a bunny. It's just a little bunny. That's fine. Oh, you're so cute. Oh, it bit me! Oh my god! Ah! It's it's got teeth. Ah! Oh. (sighs) Now we got a bunny problem. Great. If I need even more paperwork to to fill out. Yeah. Great. Hopefully we're not going to lose too many more of our campers, uh, Vespi. I think we're going to have a lot of angry phone calls to contend with with Well, with technically, parents. a lot of them aren't lost. I see, like, a piece over there. There's a piece over there. I mean, That's they're true. here. We That's know where true. most of them are. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can explain that to the uh, the parents. But anyway, let's keep going with our, our scary story uh, little marathon that we're doing here. Um, next on the list, we have Camper Fraction. Matt Fraction. Are you here? Hey, hi. Hey, how's it going? I'm here. Hey, what story will you be uh, talking to us about today? We're talking about my pretty pony. It sounds, it sounds terrifying. It sounds it's, very spooky. <laughs> it, it is perhaps the scariest story of all. And, well, tell tell us about it. Well, uh, 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 there's there's a there's a young man, and uh, he's a, a little uh, awkward, a little strange, a little solitary, like many of us here at camp uh, for the first time. Um, mm-hmm. um, Getting letters from home from mom, ensuring us that we're all big, big her, her big man that she's very proud of, and uh, uh, he's got this grandfather, and the grandfather is uh, near, near the end of his life. He's a little uh, unwell. Takes the boy uh, through an apple orchard, and uh, gives him the gift of uh, this beautiful watch, and speaks to him about uh, uh, the the slippery nature of time, um, and that that uh, time is different than counting kind of likens it in the end uh, that the, the best kind of time is is, is what he you know just calls uh, is, 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 is my pretty pony it's this pony you gotta try to contain and try to hold on to uh, for as long as you can and uh, uh, once it gets away you'll miss it it can't really be chased it can't really be captured it's very zen it's very um, meditative and, and lovely and, and uh, kind of an excellent reminder of, of how uh, versatile Stephen King can be. Um, and then, then the pony grows fangs and, and eats the old man, no, right? No, it just no, it just runs away. You know, and it's gonna <laughs> run away, it's gonna run away from all of us sooner or later. Uh leaving us as a, a little more than bones and dust and, and memories in the 
the hearts and the minds of the people that love us. Well, that's fun. Matt, how do you feel about aging as, as, a, as a concept? Are you aging gracefully? Or are you fighting it? Like, how do you, how do you feel about it? I, 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 how do I feel about it? It's definitely happening. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, there are things that certainly frustrate me about it, but I also feel incredibly fortunate and lucky to be here, let alone to have been here this long and, and to have a, a, a family that I adore. And a, and a, and a, it's an, I find aging to be an exercise in gratitude. Mm. Um, I wish my eyes worked a little better especially in the morning. You know, I wish uh, my metabolism hadn't stopped. Um, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But uh, no, I mean, I've, I've, I feel like I have my, my midlife crisis at like 25. And uh, <laughs> right, right. Uh, so everything else has kind of been gravy. You know? Yeah, that's uh, a good I point. Did, it, and, and, and I am also just acutely aware of the powerlessness and helplessness we all are in the face of it. And mm. I, I, I think it's going to be... If I am so lucky to end up in a, you know, deathbed, uh, uh, slowly fading to black, um, I know I will regret the time I spent fretting the time I had left rather than simply existing with the, <laughs> my pretty pony. Right. Uh, um, so, so yeah, so I have that kind of awareness of like, there's some things you don't think about because you, you can't do anything about it. And it's a, it's a nightmare, you know? Just as a counterbalance, I just want to say that I do not experience gratitude in the face of aging and find the whole thing to be quite the indignity. Indignities piled on top of indignities. Sure. The metabolism yeah. thing you mentioned. My okay, eyesight's it's, it's going a, it's too. A, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fucking steep drop from here to the end. I mean, I've, I've <laughs> make, no, make no bones about it. I'm 47. Right. Um, yeah. Like, like, oh yeah, no, okay, all right. The weird, but like the weird thing is, do you ever do the thing where like you compare where you are in your life at this age to where your parents were, their lives at that age, or yeah. your, grand, your grandparents? Anymore, you know, that was the thing that freaked me out when I was twenty-five. You know, like my my grandfather just died, and um, when he was twenty-five, he drew the maps. He was part of like a like an <laughs> off books like commando unit that drew the maps of of, of Omaha Beach and Point to Hawk and like. He, he would go across the channel at night in a boat and hook up with the French underground and they would stalk around and draw the maps that made D-Day possible. And right. and then he got captured. He was a POW. He escaped. He came back. He married my grandmother. He'd had my father. Mm. And I was like, I was 25. I had a drinking problem and a website. And I was like, oh, <laughs> what the fuck am I doing? You know? But yeah, I mean, he he drew he drew the maps for for the D Day invasion. But yeah, you've made guys ha- you, you, too, you, I'm sure. But you yeah, know, was, and, and, you, and and you've made Hawkeye say some funny things. You know, yeah, it's, right. it's about yeah. the same. Yeah. yeah, no, it was a very um, it was maintaining very the legacy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's easier to be grateful for the good parts than resentful for the bad because the good parts are here and the bad are kind of irreversible. <laughs> so, uh-huh. <laughs> right. Well, very Unless true. If you guys can hook me up with some Ozempic, um, I think it's just I'm mm. going to keep you know kissing my kids in the head every night and, and yeah, <laughs> you're going to do your own blood transfusion with your own children like the, the billionaire. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's working out great. Just just keep doing that. But I mean, thankfully, you're going to live a very, very, very long time. You're certainly not going to get into any trouble going back to your cabin. 
no, yes. right no, now. Uh, you know, I went to almost like a, no trouble with that. Yeah, no, it's it's. I've, I've had a great time. You know, I've had my first girlfriend. We just kissed for the first time. I'm going home in two days. Nothing can happen to me. <laughs> I'm living high on cloud nine here. At, two days away from camp retirement. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm. I don't have time for this shit here at Camp Nightmares and Dreamscapes. I got a um, fishing boat that I'm invested in. Uh, statistically this is the safest walk to a cabin that you will have ever experienced and and, you know and i think that's that's fitting i know this is kind of right in the middle of the book it's a very it's a genteel story you know it's a very it's a nice kind of downbeat uh uh, moment and and it's it's really lovely and so i feel like yeah i'm the guy who's just gonna stroll right out of here right past the horse stables where i'll say hello to my pretty pony metaphorically or literally and then I'm um, gonna, you know, me and my girlfriend are gonna give each other hand jobs. Oh, very well. Oh, well, well we wish you luck with that. And nice, nice. Um, yeah, you know, and you're not uh, supposed to tell the counselors that part, but uh, oh. but we'll let that one slide. Yeah, no, I first, told them to it's, tell it's, it's me. My, I'm, my I'm into it. Yeah, oh, <laughs> it's oh, fine. Yeah, in the uh, the Jack Tripper school of uh, was, that <laughs> was, uh, uh, was that it in Meatballs? What was John Tripper? <laughs> Jack John Tripper is from was Three's Company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. All right, you know, kids love Three's Company. Yeah, they really do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I'm gonna go. Well, yeah. Thanks, uh, I'm gonna go thanks get for telling jobs. the story. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for telling the story. Head on. Head on back. I, I. We know it's dark, but it's going to be fine. All right. And I will. I guarantee. One hundred percent. Swear on a stack of Bibles. See you guys next summer. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my God! It, it's my pretty ponies. Holy shit! It's stamping me. It's, it's it's trampling me to death. Oh, I'm getting kicked oh, in the but... head by a horse like Don Draper's father. Fuck hell! Fuck. <laughs> oh no. Well, that's going to be a really difficult one to explain. I mean, he had a horse accident. That happens all the time at camp. That's true. All right. Next up is Camper Danger. Daniel Danger, are you here? I'm here. What's up? Sweet. Do you have a story for us, Mr. Danger? Yes, I have a film script. Sort of. Uh, screenplay? You, you you that's the term? Is oh, that the term? Well, yeah. that's not even that's ambitious. It's, yes, Fancy. it's a film script. It's called Sorry, Right Number. It's not called Sorry, Wrong Number, which is what everyone's been calling it. It's called Sorry, <laughs> Right Number. Yep. Very well. Little twist on the words there. Like yeah. Subverting expectations. Fancy. Sorry, Right Number is a classic Strange Loop story. It's about a uh, husband and wife, Katie Wiederman. Her husband, Bill, who is a famous horror novel writer because they're always famous horror novel writers in his stories. He's uh, he's writing away and his kids are watching TV and uh, they're fighting over the television. And the son wants to watch the TV version of Ghost Kiss, a gory TV adaptation of one of his uh, early novels. So they're fighting Ghost away. Kiss. Ghost Kiss. Yes. All right. So uh, the wife, Katie, she's on a phone. Um, which they very specifically announced that has two lines in it. It's two phone mm. lines. Budding piece of technology right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, she's uh, she's yammering away with her friend in the kitchen. I assume just chain smoking, as always. And uh, the phone rings. The other line rings, and she picks it up, and it is a sobbing and screaming voice. And she sounds That sounds very familiar to her. And uh, she uh, it's screaming, please take, please take. And uh, it's just crying and screaming. She can't make it out. And then the phone line goes dead. So she's like, oh, no. She hangs up on the other line. She's like, I got to call my daughter at college who's having a hard time. She calls her daughter thinking her daughter who's been having a hard time, maybe she's having some sort of crisis. But no. Mm-hmm. Daughter's doing swell. Got asked out on a date. Ace and tests over there doing great. So it can't be that. Yeah. 
So then she uh, she tries to call her sister Dawn, and Dawn is uh, not picking up the phone. And she lives out in the country, and her husband's pretty absentee, as has been dictated. So she's not picking up the phone. So they get worried, and they try to call uh, they try to call the operator to get get put on through. Mm-hmm. The operator is a fan of the famous horror novel writer. A mm. uh, little ego stroking there. And uh, <laughs> he says, the phone is off the hook. So what? The phone is off the hook. So they rush in their car and they drive on over to Don's house. And, uh-oh, the, Don's lock has been jimmied and the door is easily openable. So they go inside. Everyone's very tense at this point. Of course. And um, uh, Don's just asleep on the couch with a baby, and uh, everything's great and not a problem. So Katie's over here. She's feeling weird. She's feeling gaslit by life, and she's like, what the heck? I know I knew this voice, and, uh, you know, I got to figure out what's going on here. So they drive home. She goes to sleep, wakes up, and walks into her uh, husband's writing room, and he's had a heart attack. He's dead. Old Bill famous horror novel writer is dead career's over bill career is over there so uh you know time goes on people get over him pretty quickly the daughter who's having a hard time at college she gets married potentially to the boy who asked her on a date we don't know and uh so they get married and uh katie she gets remarried to a guy named bruce or something i don't remember so then uh the anniversary of her husband's death Katie kind of nostalgically goes into Bill's old office where apparently it's kept the same, which is kind of strange. And she finds the old VHS tape of Ghost Kiss that her husband taped off the television. And then she has a little moment there. She gets uh, she gets a little crazy. She gets a little, you know, I don't know, frazzled. She grabs the phone and she dials her old phone number of all things. Oh, I see and where this is going. She's crying. She's startled. She doesn't know what's happening. She feels an immense urge to dial her own phone number. And then, guess who answers on the other end? Katie. Katie does. Katie answers oh, on the other end. It's her younger self from five years earlier. Real uh, Matthew McConaughey little time situation loop story. going here. Little right. time warp. Time loop. Little strange loop time warp story. So she's talking to her old self, and she's warning him, take him to the hospital. If you want him to live, take him to the hospital. He's going to have a heart attack. But... She's all something, something. She can't quite get the words out. And then the mystical, magical phone line breaks. And the line goes dead. And uh, and then she just cries. And uh, that's the end of the story. Just sadness. There's no point to the story other than sadness. Yeah, that's just, sad yeah. and scary. I'm going to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know yeah. if the rest of the, the campers uh, really enjoyed that. It seems like you kind of kind of no, bummed everyone that's... out kind of my brand just the sad stories yeah, fair. that's fair yeah. well yeah. um we we thank you for your contribution but uh i think it's time for you to to go on back to your cabin and right. be safe on your way there because uh well i don't know there's been some accidents i've heard a lot hmm. of yelling yeah 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 all right all right well, well thanks for we'll having me later. on maybe next time we'll have a full episode instead of this mm, i see how it yes. is all right well bye guys all right who do we have up next is that a sixty-three home light XL twelve lightweight chainsaw? Is that the, hey, the magnesium a... alloy frame? Wow, that's like Get a away classic from... chainsaw. Oh that's Jesus! Ow. What are oh, you doing? No, it's happening. So the again. home electric lighting company, Homelight, they changed their name in like nineteen twenty-one. Oh, 
Ow! See, you got to reciting that, facts about the no, chainsaw. Your this arm is, the is off. chainsaw from Evil Dead. It's a classic. It's you know the. <laughs> your arms are gone, and he's going for your legs now. There's another McConaughey connection here because this is the oh, Holy is the from shit! The, the there goes the artery. For next generation. It's on the it's movie. Both legs. Both legs. Both legs. And he's Did still talking. No legs and no arms, and now no head. Well. All right, uh, let's move on to the next person. The next camper, let me check my notes. That is Camper Crowder, Trey Crowder. Are you here? Here, indeed. You can't tell, you know, these days. It seems uh, like we're, we're losing some campers. So I just wanted to make sure that it's everybody's here and count but, for it. Okay. Yeah, no, 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 it's, it, it's totally fine. Uh, you have a spooky story for us, don't you? I do, yeah. It's called the 10 o'clock people. Oh, it sounds terrifying. Yeah. Once upon a time in the... Uh, Terrific wasteland of Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> in the dystopian period of the early 90s, a man was trying to quit smoking. Um, and have, yes, having a very rough time of it. He also was living a life of corporate drudgery at a uh, downtown corporation. One day, uh, whilst on a smoke break, he uh, he sees out of the corner of his eye a man or an entity in a immaculate three-piece Armani suit who happens to have uh, the face of a horrific bat monster. Um, mm, yes. Finds this somewhat disconcerting and is about to have a full-blown panic attack when another gentleman jumps in and stops him and says, hey, I know what's going on. You see the bat people, right? You're one of us. Come with me. Comes to f- And then uh, the guy tells him that there's uh, that the world is being overtaken by this group, this race of bat freaks who have uh, nefarious intentions for humankind, and the only people who can see them in their true form are people who are in a certain stage of nicotine withdrawal, <laughs> i.e. the 10 o'clock people, because 10 o'clock is roughly when you would take a cigarette break. Mm-hmm. Um, they Then he finds out there's a whole uh, underground society of people trying to fight back, welcome to the resistance type of thing. He goes to his first meeting, though, and turns out, bad luck for this guy, bad timing. As soon as he gets there, his very first meeting... The resistance has been sold out by its leader. The bat people show up. A lot of people die. He manages to escape, and then um, he's going to wage war on the bat people from that point forward. Spooky, right? It is. <laughs> I think this, the I think the spookiest thing is that he's got to be constantly quasi addicted. He can't fully kick the habit, and he can't give it up, or he's not going to be seeing these bat people anymore. He's yeah, not going to be. Yeah, that's right. Either you either want to be fully engaged in your nicotine addiction, or hopefully put it behind you. <laughs> now that a constant state of waffle. Yeah, you don't want to. I choose the former personally. Yeah. Are you a Are you a smoker, Trey, or have you ever I been? Started smoking when I was sixteen. Um, now a vapor because I'm not a lunatic. All right, I'm an aging right. millennial, so of course I uh, vape now. But. Uh, Whenever the Occupy Wall Street thing was going on, I tweeted this uh, joke thing about it, like, "Hey, here's a pitch, sci-fi. How about a movie where a, a race of like tentacle-faced monsters are secretly taking over Wall Street, called you know Octopi Wall Street, right?" <laughs> and, and then this dude, you know, Twitter is weird sometimes. This guy I kind of knew through comedy was like, "Hey, I know somebody at Sci-Fi. I could probably get that in front of them if you want." And this is like <laughs> when I was a baby comic with nothing. And I was like, I'm going to put a treatment together for Octopi Wall Street. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and I did. And I remember the 10 o'clock people. Right. And so in Octopi Wall Street, it was like this young Wall Street bro 
and the combination required was like monster energy drinks and vape juice was what <laughs> made you able to see the octopus monsters. That was my thing. And uh, <laughs> what was funny is like it fell apart when I realized, uh, you know, much like I wonder if Stephen King did at any point while writing yeah. this story. I was like, oh, this is literally just exactly they live. It is uh, 100% they live. Yeah, yeah. right. And, and like and with mine, especially because it's like consumerism, capitalism, all that <laughs> stuff. It's like yeah. I was like, this is literally just they live. And I was like, oh, good. I was looking for an excuse to not do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you probably could have definitely then sold it to Sci-Fi Channel. Right, they, yeah. They love I, I, I meant what I just said about looking for an excuse to quit a thing. I'm always, yeah, always on the lookout <laughs> for that. So. <laughs> so, so, something that I think is really interesting is in the afterward in Nightmares and Dreamscapes, Stephen King talks about how, yeah, this story is intended to yeah. kind of show this separation of of classes here. It's like they're these poor smokers are being segregated out, and yeah. Like he's, He's comparing it to Jim Crow laws, and you go, mm, come on, yeah. Steve, little little, uh, little foot uh, in it there. You can't uh, say because you can't smoke in bars anymore that it's the same as separate water fountains, my man. Yeah, I I love Stephen King, but I thought the same thing. It's like, well, I mean, I think that's a little bit of a stretch. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> but I do think every smoker, though, who like goes through that process or whatever, like at some point thinks that you're being treated as second class citizens or whatever. hundred you know what I mean? percent. Yeah. And because yeah. like, but then when you finally get past it, you're not a smoker anymore. You're like, Oh, cause it is gross and I shouldn't be blowing it in children's faces. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> but when you're a smoker, you're like this indignity will not stand, you know? Um, <laughs> So I get it. <laughs> and, and so so sometimes people get angry and then they just write stories about bad people. Yeah. Real quick. I mean, what do you guys think about the, like, I love both, you know, they live also hits for me, Rowdy Roddy Piper, whatnot. And I love Stephen King, but like, I don't know. Where are you at on, on the, the parallels there? I mean, it is pretty similar, right? And this came after. Um, Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really made the connection before. <laughs> yeah. It um, is it is a hundred percent that like down to like the, the, the meeting getting, you know, sold out by the guy at the top trying to make a deal with the the bad stuff. It is it, it's it's not just in oh this guy can see something, you know, these aliens undercover that most people can't see. I mean that already is enough, but the fact that all the plot beats, you know, down to the I'm gonna start my own little mini revolution and, and uh and get you know get this taken care of. It's it's pretty much like two thirds of they live. Right. Um, it's just kind of missing the consumerism thing. Instead, right. it was way more focused on on wanting everybody to know how mad he was. As a, I assume at the time, a smoker that couldn't smoke whoever he wanted to. My thing on this story, like anytime I've read it, is it feels like him setting up something that could sustain a novella or maybe even a novel, mm. and then he decides somewhere along the lines. Nah, fuck it. This is just going to be a short story, and then it like <laughs> yeah. suddenly wraps up. You yeah, know? I remember thinking like even as a kid before I ever got into like doing this type of thing. Like as a kid, I read it and I was like, oh, this would be a cool. T- this would be like a first episode, you know, a pilot for a TV show or something. Is what it felt like. Yeah, yeah, to me because it does just feel like a setup for like a longer thing. You're right that then you know doesn't happen. Great title. Though. Yeah, yeah, great, great title. title. But uh, premise, a little a little low men feeling in there, a little dark towery with the uh, a little the, bit, yeah, yeah, with the animal faces underneath the human faces and whatnot. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but thank you for bringing it up to the to the campfire. Um, Absolutely, utterly terrifying story. Thank you, and uh, <laughs> I guess now um now it's time for you to return to your cabin. All right, 
I'll see you guys later. Thanks for having me. It was a good time. Yeah. I'm just going to retire to my cat. Oh, my God. Oh, why? Why? All right. I'm not even going to address it at this point. We've we've just lost too many yeah. too many of these folks, and uh, look, I, I don't want to look it in the eye. So let's... Uh, moving let's on. Yes, yeah, let's see who on. we got next. All right. Up next, we have a, a camper by the name of Patton Oswalt, who's going to tell us the story of Crouch End. Patton, uh, come on up. Oh, hey. Thanks, guys. Hi, everyone. Woo! How about that tuna casserole at lunch today? <laughs> I think that the, tomorrow's canoe trip's going to get canceled, if you know what I mean. <laughs> hey, I don't know if any of you are familiar uh, with uh, a writer named H.P. Lovecraft. He was mm. a uh, writer who lived in mm. Providence, Rhode Island at the uh, early part of the 20th century. And he wrote a lot of really spooky, uh, massive cosmic horror stories. And he had some interesting ideas about, um, you know what, let's not go down that road. He, he wrote some <laughs> spooky stories, and he died young. And boy, was his stuff uh, influential uh, in the years and decades after he died. Uh, so much so that uh, it influenced a writer named Stephen King, who wrote a really... Stephen King was an, uh, also very scary horror writer, uh, wrote all kinds of uh, seminal novels, Carrie, Salem's Lot, Stand, uh, and many, many, many scary short stories, including uh, one called Crouch End. Yes. Crouch End uh, is a, a very eerie story about um, some strange goings on mm. in Crouch End in London, England. London, England, which is, of course, uh, one of the most haunted and creepy cities uh, on the face of the earth, uh, built on a lot of bloodshed, built on a lot of uh, evil and tragedy and uh, stress. And without getting into too many details, because I really like people to discover a lot of the surprises and creepiness mm. in the story, but uh, it, it gets down to a point where a, uh, a London beat cop, a Bobby, if you will, uh, talks about um, some of the creepiness that are main characters have encountered in their evening at Crouch End, and he ends up expounding on a dumb person's view of what the Lovecraftian mythos <laughs> is, uh, which actually makes it even scarier. He, he likens the world and he likens our reality to a basketball, and a basketball that uh, is used over and over again. Some of its uh, edges get a little more worn than other parts of the edges, and those Worn edges let air seep out of the basketball, but in our case, uh, in the case of our reality and uh, the, the dimension and membrane that we live in, that wearing down of the edges lets certain things in. Mm. And it's very, very clear when you read the story that this policeman, this Bobby, if you will, has encountered a lot of weirdness out in Crouch End and is essentially telling our protagonist, be lucky that this is your only encounter. Uh, and I've often wondered reading the story if this Bobby knows that maybe not anytime soon, but sometimes, sometime in the future, he himself is going to get swallowed up by one of these other dimensions. Uh, and he may perhaps knows it. And one of the ways that he defends against it is by having his very pragmatic, non-imaginative British view of the unknown, of the cosmic, of the eldritch. 
uh, and it's a way of and 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 and, and a lot of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft stories, and in a lot of M.R. James stories, and a lot of um, uh, Stephen King stories. Sometimes uh, ignorance is a pretty amazing defense against, the <laughs> um, and it's something that you might want to cling to and maybe not let go. So, uh, with that idea in mind, uh, sweet dreams. Um, maybe figure out where the latrine is. Uh, during mm-hmm. our little sleepover here, because you might need it later. Because again, I can tell when a tuna salad has turned. And mm. um, I'll see some of you tomorrow for the canoe trip. Some of you might be sleeping in. We will have Gatorade and Pedialyte uh, standing by. So anyway, uh, great to be here at Camp uh, Dreams and Nightmares Night- and Dreamscapes. <laughs> and I shall be yes. walking back to my cabin. So thank you all so much. Please be safe on your way back. We've had some problems with the other cans. Uh, oh, campers. guys, I've been here for years. I'll be. Ah, <laughs> uh, lost another, another one. one down. Damn. Well, that's a shame. But thank you to Patton for being here today. Okay, next camper up, I believe, is David Desmalchen. David, are you here? Oh, hi, hi, everybody. Hey, guys. Um, oh, hey, uh, hey. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm here. You to, sound nervous. Uh, no, not nervous at all. It's just it's dark, and um, unfortunately, my marshmallow fell in the fire, and I don't like them burned. But I'm mm. um, I'm not I'm not that I'm the one that likes them like lightly toasted brown. But nobody else is letting me get another one out of the bag. It's uh, it's okay. Um, I I always uh, get scared being away from my family, and I get homesick, which is why I wanted to tell you guys this story that I think is really. Um, scary uh it's called <laughs> the house on maple street and mm. this is this is a story um that really takes you into the terror and the dread and the horror of blended families mm. um i <laughs> don't know who else out there has a stepdad but mm. um i know if you say that word too many times out loud like stepdads will just come out of the woods and that's true um, mm-hmm. can possibly pop up from under your bunk uh i don't ever say the word stepdad when looking in the mirror but i really love this story because honestly it reminds me when i read it of the terror and dread the one thing that it taps into for me personally as david is being a kid i had three siblings so it was mm. a family of four kids just like the fa- the bradbury children in the story yes. and here we've got these uh oh actually there's there was five children i think in in the in this story but regardless very similar to my uh, my my childhood there's five there's a group of kids they live together now in the story the house on maple street mm-hmm. their dad has passed away and their mm-hmm. mom has remarried somebody named lou who is, um, let's just say, not the most awesome stepdad. Um, now, red flag con- number one. His name red is flag Lou. number one. Yeah, his yep. name is Lou. L e w even. Yeah, um, not, not even the oh, L o u. Hey, no offense, Lou Temple. If you're listening to this, you're a wonderful guy. Uh, and, but I will Captain say, Captain Lou Albano. <laughs> that's oh, you're cool. what a, God. There we go. Um, I I will say really quick context in yep. case either of my step parents, both of my parents have passed away, but my step parents, I have. I lucked out. I hit the jackpot. I actually had fantastic step parents. So mm-hmm. just know that as I say this. But what I didn't have was a safe childhood in the sense that I, I grew up in a very volatile, dysfunctional house. And I don't know if anybody else knew this or experienced this. Having my, my father, 
may he rest in peace, who thank goodness I, I was able to bond with later in life. But when I was a kid, he, it was fear of God every day at our house and his temper mm. was so scary. And so him coming home from work and the terror of like doing a little task, especially anything that might involve going near his stuff, like his mm-hmm. stuff in the garage or his mm-hmm. stuff in his room near his office which was just a desk was terrifying and then like you could hear his car pull up in the driveway and you could feel all four of us kids buttholes pucker up and just get so tense so Mm. this story kids it brings that to life but what's so wonderful and weird about this story is that through the cracks in the wall of this house these kids discover that something is growing something is growing and, and and manifesting and starting to take almost control of the house, which for me, it was this fear, dread, and this desire, this just utmost desire that my dad, when I was a kid, would leave. Like, because he, I just was like, wow, that would be so great if my mom, who seems so stressed out all the time, could get a break and my dad could leave. In this story, as the mom is suffering and the kids are frustrated and scared, and they're starting to become more cognizant of the fact that this weird substance that exists within the walls of their home is growing and growing and growing. There's also a ticking clock that is at the center of all of it, which means it's counting down to a moment that we uh, all know if it's counting down to zero, that can't be a good thing. This story fills me with the dread that I think all of you sitting around this campfire tonight must know and feel in your bones whether you ever get really nervous about getting caught, whether you deal with a really scary relationship that isn't necessarily violent or physically dangerous, but is so emotionally toxic and so loud and feels unsafe that all you can do is try and hold your breath every time you're around that person, whether it's Mm. a boss or a parent or a partner. So this, this, this puts the fear of 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 God in me, and I and I and I and I and I and I think everybody um, probably would be really um, scared if if they had to experience this ste- stepdad too. Well, what, what does the house on Maple Street do at the end of the story? Do we tell? Do, do we say? Can I tell you, you guys? Okay, you guys. I, I, I'm, so, I'm, I'm... do you guys remember um, the Last Starfighter, or maybe mm-hmm. do you remember uh, any movies uh, where, like, uh, I'm trying to think of another really good example where, like, something erupted out of something else, and you finally mm. realized what it was because, guys what it is that's taking over the house. And it's so cool how the kids end up tricking mm-hmm. Lou, the sh- crappy stepdad to mm-hmm. come home. They trick him finally and he gets home and he's, he's in his office and I can't remember exactly how they trick him. Cause he doesn't really care about them or their mom. Who's very no. sick, but they're able to get him there. And the house starts to shake mm-hmm. and starts to rumble. And all of a sudden, the wood contorts and the metal that's been growing within the walls starts to take over the whole space. And it turns into this big, weird, almost Lovecraftian capsule of hellish intergalactic, I don't know what, and takes off. Mm -hmm. And it rockets into the stratosphere, disappearing forever and delivering them from the thing that has caused them so much suffering. Their stepdad gets rocketed to the moon. And again, my dad, I love my dad, and I I got very close to him at the end, but there were definitely times when I was a kid where if you'd have told me 
that I could have tricked my dad into going into his garage where he'd be clanging his tools and yelling at me and being an asshole. And I could have had him wrapped up in a big metal pod and shot off into space. My mom could have remarried Harrison Ford and run off into the sunset. I would have pushed that button in a second. Oh, well Very done. Very well done. Very well thanks, done, guys. David. Thanks, thanks. And um, now we're going to invite you to return to your cabin. I don't want to go... You'll be safe out there. There's nothing to worry about. You're a big boy. I'm sure all the sounds that we've heard up to this point are perfectly safe. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I I heard a couple of people. Okay. Well, it's fine. Your um, cabin's just over there, buddy. I know. I see it. I just, I don't have a flashlight. Okay. 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 Um, All right. Uh, Good night, everybody. I'll see I'll see you guys. See you in the morning. I'll see you at, see you at breakfast. Sounds like we got a centibite out there. Well, that was a damn shame. We like Camper David, but I think it's time to bring up the next one. Yeah, I, I agree. All right. The next camper on our list is Camper Farrier. David Farrier, are you here? I'm here. Hello. I'm excited to hey. be at camp. Have you been yeah. enjoying the uh, the stories everyone's been telling tonight? I love the stories. Loving roasting marshmallows over the fire. I feel scared and uh, and excited all at the same time. Now, we spoke uh, earlier today at Arts and Crafts, and you told us you had a, a very spooky story indeed to tell us this evening. Is that correct? Oh, my God, yes. It's one of the scariest Stephen King uh, stories and I'm excited to sp- I mean if you can be as spooked as I was when I first uh, heard the story hmm. I'm gonna uh, I can't wait Ooh. Well, what's it called yeah my interest it's called is the, it's called the fifth it's called the fifth quarter uh, hmm. and look I'm gonna be honest I'd, I'd, it's probably not the scariest story you've you've ever heard uh, but hmm. it's uh, it's full of intrigue it's a mystery and I think you're going to be at the edge of your your seat. Ooh. It's very very Kiwi of you to apologize ahead of time. <laughs> I could I could never oversell anything. I'm incapable of it. <laughs> Absolutely uh, fucking incapable. Well, give it a go. Let's see. Let's see what you got. Okay. Well, look, the fifth quarter. It's uh, not quite sure what year it is. Let's say it's uh, let's say it's the um, the eighties. The eighties. Sure. Uh, Spooky, pretty spooky, pretty spooky, and Reagan. um, oh, oh, been having a pretty great life. I've indulged in a bit of crime in my day, but uh, sort of out of that game now. But something crazy's happened where I, um, a friend of mine, uh, by the name of Benny, uh, got hideous. I found him hideously injured and and bleeding out and gasping for breath. Um, in, a, in a, a boat as he, he paddled back um, from an island and I sort of met up with him and he was sort of gasping for breath and he um, he indicated that uh, who was responsible for his death who'd, who'd, who'd shot him uh, mm. and why he was bleeding out a man I believe called Ke- Keenan mm. uh, and so Benny you know he sort of choked out in front of me died and I was filled you know, filled with anger at this uh, yes. I also noticed I've slipped into the first person, which is just a storytelling technique I love to do. Okay, good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my best friend Benny, he's, fucking, he's been shot, he's died. 
uh, he's also told me that he was uh, involved in burying some some treasure uh, and uh, ended up getting double crossed and shot over it so he's given me the name of the man who shot him and this potentially could also lead me to some bits of a map that uh, have been separated between these various criminals and uh, if I can put them back together and get all the pieces, then I will be able to find that treasure. So not only do I want to avenge Benny's death, but I also really want to find um, the treasure. The treasure being some cash from a, a robbery that had been mm. committed. So phew, can't wait. So look, I want revenge. So I go off. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Holy Whoa. shit. What? Is that an arrow? Oh, it, yeah, it's an arrow in me, but it's okay. From the, from the archery oh, range. Oh. Holy shit. It's okay. It's okay. I'm here to tell a story, and I'll tell the story. You're sure you're fine? That doesn't no, hurt? I'm good. I'm good. You, I'm, you don't want right. us to call the nurse. <laughs> Christ. No, I'm good. Okay. So, all right. What well, I do... The, finish the story, then. Yeah. A little hard to breathe, but we'll get there. So, I need to go and find Keenan and find out. I need to find the map, and I need to get my fucking revenge. So, I go to Keenan's house. I break in, and I wait for him to come home. Eventually... He does arrive home, and I get a gun, and I confront him, and I say, you bastard, you killed my friend Benny. Plus, I know... <gasps> oh, Christ. That's, okay, that's a second no. arrow. We gotta, that, that one, we, gotta, we gotta get you to the nurse, dude. No, I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, that one hit you center mass. Are you sure you want to continue the story? Uh, I'm, look, they're in me, but I'm okay. I'm okay. All okay. right, but... Look, Keenan... Oh, Christ. I get Keenan's Keenan to spit up where his bit of the map is, but then his colleague Sarge comes in, and Sarge is a big, 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 big fucker, and he's um, incredibly scary. But he's got the other bit of the map, so after torturing Keenan for a bit and getting his bit of the map, we set off with Sarge, his trailer out in the woods, where he's got his bit of the... Uh, you are... <laughs> Okay, <gasps> three strikes and you're out. You're losing a lot of blood, man. We go to Sarge's trailer. Remember, I've got one bit of the map. I'm at the trailer. I retrieve Sarge's bit of the map, but then suddenly, boom, the lights the lights blow out in this fucking trailer. The lights blow out. And you know who it is? Fucking no. Jagger. Jagger's there. He's the other one uh, that was involved in this yeah. robbery. He's got the other bit of the map. He's also there doing what I'm doing, which is crazy. He was there to go and get Sarge to double cross him and get his bit of the map. But I'm one step ahead. <gasps> Fucking Christ. How many arrows are, are sitting around this camp? I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I'm fine. Yeah, you better finish the story. I'm on the hook now. I'm fine. I'm fine. So I've got Keenan's bit of the map. I've got Sarge's bit of the map. Fucking hell. The lights are out. Jagger dives in to the room with us but then fortunately he stumbles over Sarge who's like lying on the floor prone because mm. I fucking shot him as well <sighs> oh my god I don't know if I can actually carry on with this this is very sore yeah this yeah, is very you're, fucking you look sore. like a fucking porcupine man you're, look, you're stuck I just, full of arrows look the point is I end up killing Jagger as well which leaves me with three pieces of the four pieces of the map but you know what the great thing is I've got the piece of the map that has the cross on it. Without oh. the fourth piece, I still think I can find this treasure. I've avenged my friend, my friend's death. I've got a map. 
And to be honest, I think I'm going to be able to get the treasure, but I mean, what's the point now, you know? Oh, <sighs> no. Right. Right. Christ. You're, I feel like the arrows have like really distracted me from telling the story. Yeah, and they've distracted everyone. We're all looking at the arrows. But look, my point is... If you get hit by one I... more arrow, we're sending you to your cabin. Look, I... Oh, and there, there it, is. it is. All right. All right. We're going to we're going to need you to uh, wrap it up. Go back to your cabin and we'll uh we'll we'll send it. Oh, he's yeah. he's no, I'm, he's dying. I'm, yeah. I'm hitting off guy. It's been I got to I got to do, go. do you need some some help? You're just kind of crawling away from the I'm campfire fine. right now. I'm fine. It's oh, a high, okay. It's a high story. I got the mat. I avenged my friend's death. Oh, well. Uh, okay, well, yeah, I, yeah, I, dude, I think we should. Uh, we'll we'll send the nurse to that one's going to be hard to explain to anyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's yeah, keep let's, this party going. Yeah, let's soldier on. Let's soldier yeah. on. No need to get distracted by that. All right. According to my list here, our next camper is Mister Jones, Stephen Graham Jones, Camper Jones. Are you here? Yeah, yeah. I just got here. What do you need? Oh, the the kid that keeps uh, fucking around with insects out in the woods. We know mm-hmm. you. <laughs> They're messing around with me, man. Yeah. <laughs> you, I have noticed you've been sneaking off a lot, and and I, I listen. I don't want to point any fingers, but what? it just seems really suspicious that you keep disappearing while other campers are telling their stories, and then they end up getting killed in random ways. Mm-hmm. Man, that's just that's just coincidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's not suspicious at all. No. no. Um, do you have a uh, a story that you'd like to to tell the rest of us? You know, it's this it's this um, the doctor's case. Yeah, it's oh. 18, it's eighteen ninety nine. This is what are we like a decade after Jack the Ripper, Queen Victoria is about to die. Um, I guess John Wayne isn't a shootist, right? Um, sure. <laughs> and, um, and this is uh, Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson, his his trusty sidekick. Uh, shipping magnate is that how you say that word magnate i guess um yeah yeah better than magnet because we don't know how those work yeah no he has been um stabbed in the back in a closed locked study and Mm. sherlock holmes gets activated because he has always dreamed of trying to solve a closed door mystery so on a rainy day he and dr watson trek over there and get the lowdown on the family the family has wonderful reasons to hate this dr hull their their father one of their one of their it married to um mrs hull of course so by the time they get there watson and holmes know about the family they know their peculiar abilities and you know predilections what they do and they go into the room to investigate it, and Sherlock Holmes is winding up his big brain when Watson is just hit with a eureka moment, and bam, he solves it all at once. Turns out that, um, surprise, everybody's lying. You know, it's kind of a, <laughs> to, to bring Agatha Christie into a closed door <laughs> mystery, it's kind of a murder on the Orient Express thing where all the whole family did it pretty much, or the whole family colluded and hiding it anyways. Yeah. What, what Watson recognized when he walked into the room was that the artist's son had rigged up, painted and rigged up a canvas under the coffee table to make it look like you could see under the coffee table. But really, he was hiding under there. He's a little dude. He was hiding under there to sneak up and stab his dad and preserve the will that they all wanted to have be legal instead of the Mm -hmm. new one the father had rigged together that deprived them of everything and gave all his fortune to 
a house of cats, which is not like a euphemism <laughs> for a cat house. <laughs> it's just like a boarding house. Not for a cat yeah. house, a house of cats. Yeah. Two different things. Yeah. Yes. And um, so Watson, bam, he gets it. And and it, it's kind of weird because he, he, he steals Holmes' thunder, but it's only fair because Holmes is always trouncing on everybody else. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also Holmes, it's kind of fun because Holmes is quite allergic to cats, you know? And Watson is narrating this. Or I say, I say narrating. He's writing this down when he is between 90 and 100 years old. This is at least 40 years after the fact. And he thinks it's safe to finally tell the story of how he one-upped Holmes. And also Holmes is dead. So what can Holmes say about it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a secret. Wait till they're dead. Yeah, exactly. Huh? Exactly. Uh, now, there's a little button at the end of the story, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, that's, yeah. that's uh, really kind of wonderful where they... Holmes and Watson, don't they kind of go, yeah, let them get away with this one. They do. And that's really surprising to me um, that, yeah, they, they decide that um, the family getting away is the lesser evil than the debt, the father, than them all going to jail because of what their father kind of forced them to do in, in a sense, you know, I don't know if anybody ever forces you to plan and commit murder, but <laughs> if ever it was justified, this dude was not a good dude. So, right. So yeah, it's really kind of a rare situation because they uphold like the um, they uphold justice instead of the law. It feels like yeah. Well, I have to imagine that uh, Sherlock's hatred of an allergy of cats probably played into his decision making there, knowing that otherwise that cats would benefit from this yeah. uh, magnate's uh, riches. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point because if. Think yeah, about hundreds of thousands of dollars go to that cat house, that boarding house for cats, the cat hotel, <laughs> whatever it is. That um, then, yeah, cats are just going to proliferate across London, aren't they? And then more cats, like, <laughs> more dander, more sneezing. Yeah. Let, let let the family get away with it. Yeah, that, so that's that's what yeah. I'm taking away. Self protection. I had not considered that. I like that. I, I like that. <laughs> have but you know, ever, yeah, Stephen? Have you ever written a story where you have? used other people's characters like yeah i have yeah i've got one coming out actually a conan the barbarian story and i've oh no shit yeah i've done it a few other times too with various properties yeah yeah it's really fun really fun is is this something you run on spec though or if it's something like you were hired to do no they they called me up and they said hey you want to write a conan story and before they even got the question mark i said yes you know (laughs) so i guess what i'm getting at here is like what do you what do you feel about the practice of established oh, yeah. authors borrowing each other's characters? Not like a, a yeah. hire thing. But yeah, like, yeah. No, like, I think it's great. I mean, as far as Holmes goes, I mean, Gaiman has a study in Emerald, which is an amazing story. What Michael Chabon has that um, the Final Solution, which is more of a novella, which is really good too. A lot of people play with Holmes because we all think that um, we're we're smart enough to design a puzzle, you know. Uh-huh. And, and hide the key in plain sight, more or less, which is kind of what you have to you have to do in these in these type stories. And King, I think, really kind of cannily um, undoes that. You know, like we're expecting that usual build, but instead of us watching Sherlock Holmes's forensic mental all all his gears turn, he's stymied by Watson just stumbling onto the solution immediately. You know, and that's a, that's a good way to. Save yourself the effort of having to design a huge puzzle, you know? <laughs> right. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, we thank you for being here, yeah, but uh, it is time for you to return to your cabin. Oh, man. I, I don't even like my I don't even like my cabin mates. Well, that's fine. Well, there's a few of them left, so I think yeah, that'll be all right. We're, we're, at this yeah. point. 
there's cool. apparently I don't know. There's rumors are circulating that we have a, a, a slasher out in the woods, but you know, uh, that's almost certainly bullshit. Yeah, I think it is. I think they're just going home because they got scared. Yeah, yeah, probably. All right, we'll be safe. All right, check you out later. Alrighty. All right. Let's see. Huh. My God, is that a toy chainsaw? Oh, hmm. Well, I guess it wasn't Camper Jones. Yeah. Very, very sad. Sad and unfortunate. But um, you know what? We all always have some more stories. I wonder who's next. Let's see who's next. All right. Next up, we have, uh, looks like Camper Schilling. Camper Dave Schilling, are you here? Uh, Yeah, present. Hello. Hi. Hey. Howdy. Hi. You having a good time tonight? Enjoying the stories? Loving the s'mores. Loving the chocolates. Yeah, this is really lovely. This It smells yeah. like... Pine trees. Pine yes. Trees. Yeah, it's really lovely. Sorry for all the screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, okay. we're still trying to figure out exactly what that's about. I think at this point we can safely say that maybe uh, we have some uh, paperwork we're going to need to do after we wrap up our campfire tales tonight. But uh, you know, let's not worry about that right now. Yeah, we want to hear some spooky tell... stories. Yeah, yeah, we're here to tell spooky stories, and we understand that you have a a real corker of a spooky story to tell us today. Yeah, this is a this is a humdinger. I think uh, it's called Omni's Last Case. Ooh, and it begins in sunny Los Angeles, California, in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And our friend Clyde Omni is a private detective, a divorce detective, and he's going about his business, you know, getting his L.A. Oh. Times. Hitler's on the cover, as he is every day for some reason. I don't know. Um, and uh, the little shoeshine boy, not shoeshine boy, the newspaper boy. Uh, he says he won the lottery, and that's 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 bizarre to old Clyde, because this is a poor blind boy who doesn't have a cent to his name. Well, apparently his mom won forty thousand dollars in Mexico, and uh, he's quitting Ooh. the uh, newspaper game. Clyde then goes up to his office. Uh, the the guy who operates the elevator has cancer, and he's retiring. And Clyde seems upset. Why would you retire? Well, the guy's going to be dead in a week or so. Uh, Then he realizes his office is being painted, and he's upset about that. The diner he likes to go to is closed. Uh, He finally goes into his his office in this beautiful building in downtown Los Angeles, and who does he meet? Himself! A guy who's older and uglier, but it's definitely him. And through their kind of uh, tortured conversation back and forth, you realize that Actually, the man that Clyde is talking to is the author of these uh, really bad fake Raymond Chandler books. Uh, And he's decided that uh, after a tragedy of losing his wife and child to uh, both AIDS and uh, drug overdose, he's going to put himself into the world of his novels. So he's replacing his main character. Yeah, that... I thought about that when I got divorced. I was like, what if I just wrote a really shitty version of a Raymond Chandler novel Mm -hmm. and then jumped in like in the page master? That's what happened to me, too. It's a natural impulse. But I just cracked my head on the floor because that's not possible. Anyway, in the story, uh, Clyde is replaced and uh, he goes into the real world of 1994 Los Angeles and he hates it and he thinks the music sounds like shit and the food is bad and... Everybody has venereal diseases, so we can't have sex. Ooh. Yeah, and, you know, in a Raymond Chandler novel, nobody gets sick. Nobody shits. He pisses the bed 
in one scene. Uh, and that's uh, unfortunate, and he cleans it up. Somehow he figures out how to operate a washing machine. Uh, anyway, he starts writing himself uh, and starts writing novels about himself in, uh, in an attempt to get back at the author who stole his life, his beautiful life of having sex with divorced women, drinking mm-hmm. all day, and shooting people nice. indiscriminately. Mm. So that's the story of Omni's last case. Oh. Uh, was this story when you when you sat down to read this? Was this what you were expecting? Um, yeah. I mean, I knew there was some sort of uh, hokey dokey twist coming. Um, sure. You know, there's all these kind of little bits of foreshadowing which Stephen King likes to do, or it's like, oh, his eyes, like the little blind boy's sunglasses, looked like um, you know he had holes drilled in his eyes or something, and you're like, oh, <laughs> this is gonna be bad. And then uh, there's all these allusions to the afterlife, kind of, and like we're painting the building white so that it's, it reflects this beautiful light in through the window. And you're like, mm, you mean like heaven? And then he refers <laughs> often to the author of the books as God. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of exactly what I expected. I, 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 did, it, I was not uh, surprised other than when he pisses the bed. <laughs> you, that was the, shock, the shocker to you was the bedwetting. Also, there was a little bit of casual homophobia at the beginning, beginning, but we don't have to talk about that right now so much. Yeah, we don't have the time to have that conversation again. But I'm wondering, you kind of touched on this a moment ago about, you know, joking about writing yourself into a Raymond Chandler novel. But seriously, if, like, you could write yourself into any kind, any genre of, of story and be there living that life, what what sort of story would you write yourself into? What would it be about you mean besides like a penthouse forum issue or something? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I um, presume you'll do do something more elaborate than two chicks at the same time. But that's, <laughs> oh, no. That's it's, what you want. It's one of those things you really shouldn't even talk about on a microphone. Um, no, I would <laughs> I, I, I think I would do, you know, a space adventure. Um, I love the future. I love Star Trek and, you know, the, the kind of strangely moral uh, – certitude of all the characters on the show I just right. want people, you know i just want to be in a world where like people say yes sir all the time and it feels good <laughs> so, fair enough so it's either that or uh, military academy so you're writing yourself into one of the no because i'm trying to avoid the homophobia again guys that's <laughs> <laughs> oh. well, true well um i gotta tell you uh camper shilling this wasn't a particularly spooky story um, a little convoluted. What are you talking about? He's, yeah. He has a conversation with himself. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a mirror. You know, oh, I'm, I'm familiar with how this works. Not, uh, <laughs> not particularly terrifying. Not the scariest story we've he- heard here at Camp Night- Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Have That's... you ever pissed yourself before? Yeah, I'm doing it r- as we speak. Okay, so then it's not as scary as, as I thought. No, no, no. I find it terrifying, but uh, <laughs> Counselor Wampler, not so much. Yeah, I'm in training. This is Dribbles for... of piss rolled down his leg. Listen, I have That's a charity event coming up, and this is just part of it, okay? So okay. let's let's not be too judgy. All right, all right fine. Right. Can I go back to my bunk now? Yes, please. Yeah. Uh, thank you for being here, Camper Schilling, and, and please re- return to your cabin. All right. Uh, I'm heading out, guys. See, See ya. ya. Oh, hey, is that a person in a mask? Oh hey yeah no oh no that's my that's my cheek why why are you rubbing my cheek? Finger. Oh shit. back of your hand. Oh no, oh no I'm I'm rapidly losing so much weight I'm. Oh god, he's one been might say thinnered. I, I David, might be thinnered. have you been working out? No, I have been cared. 
Oh no, he he is literally disappearing in front of our eyes right now. That was uh, that was something. We've wow. we've seen a lot of death and destruction here tonight, but that wasn't that one was very impressive. Uh, yeah. Well, but anyway, on to the next one. Man, we're running low on campers here, but we are also getting mm-hmm. toward the end of this thing. Um, let's see who's next. That would be Camper Gondelman. Yeah, Josh hey, Gondelman. Hey, hey, Josh. Hey, man. I didn't even hey. see you over there. I was. I was. It's because it's dark. Right, it is very it, dark. It is. The, the campfire is dwindling a little bit. We should probably mm-hmm. get on that. But, uh, you know, we're also not going to be out here all night. So, uh, you know, the campfire can do whatever it wants to do. Uh, so you got you got a spooky story. We need a spooky story, like a real yeah. oh, deadly serious scary I've got, story. Have okay. I got a story for you. It's, it'll chill your chill your blood. And, Ooh, and, we'd like and, to hear that. And freeze your bones. And so you, you tap them, they shatter. And, Ooh. Uh, and turn your brain into a, a wobbly brain. Yes, yes. Yeah, this story, a tale of terror, the likes of which you've never heard. This story is called Head Down. Ooh. Oh, I mean, it's about a decapitation. Let's hear it. Long, long ago, in the year 1909. Ought means 80, right? Uh, I think yeah, ought is zero, but... Yeah, but... Uh... Shit. Okay. Ought on top of another ought nine. <laughs> there was a, a a little league baseball team from West Bangor, Maine, Ooh. and this baseball team was full of young, innocent boys, twelve years old, their whole lives ahead of them. And these these boys, they were practicing all summer in hopes of going to the little league World Series. And they had no idea what was in store when they started out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's getting good. They yeah. practiced and practiced. They played together. They weren't the most well-funded team in, in their region. They weren't the the most athletic team in their region. Their uniforms were ragtag. But damn it, they practiced and they they went to the tournament and they won their first game handily. And then through through practice and skill and fundamentals. Ooh. Ooh, fundamentals. <laughs> they won their second game. And then right. at the third game of the tournament, something terrible happened. All right, here we go. Here it comes. They yeah. lost the third game narrowly. It was crushing. They cried and cried. Oh, and their oh. coaches took them aside in their moment of despair, and they said, what you need to do is care for each other in these moments. You're out here to take care of one another. When we practice, we're going to yell and raise hell and hold you to high standards. But when we're on the field playing a game, it's all love from us and from you. So they played a fourth game, and Ooh. my God... <sighs> Something you could never see coming. They beat the team they lost to in the third game. Oh, okay. Taking them to regionals, where they played against a bunch of better-funded, better-equipped kids. And I'll tell you what. What? They won those games, too. Making them the regional champions of Uh, Maine. 
So, but then, yeah. Oh, here, here, here we go. Moved on to the next round of the tournament. Mm, I I knew something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets spookier. Trust me. Okay. Where they played against a team from Massachusetts. Oh no, that is that is horrifying. The spookiest state in the union, and they lost. But what they took with them was a bond of friendship. Friendship. The, the bonds so tight, they were like chains around their ankles, holding them in a dungeon. Yeah. Uh, but, like, nice. Oh. <laughs> like a nice dungeon where they wanted to be. And silk chains, I imagine, yes. So, very gentle chains. <laughs> Firm, but gentle. Mm. Very, and and uh, they grew up, and none of them ever played professional baseball, but they always had fond memories and what is a fond memory, if not a ghost? What? You know yeah. what? This wasn't this particularly frightening. I'm going to be honest with you, <laughs> Camper Gondelman. What are you about? This is so scary. Which which part? The, the baseball? That's there's bats. Those are scary. Those are like weapons. Well, I suppose that's children in, in be... rural Maine. That's spooky. Well, then that, that is spooky. And yeah. they did have yeah. raggedy ass. Uh, uniforms. His match uniforms? A, yeah. That's yeah. like a fashion emergency. Yeah, that's true. You that's know what? True. If you don't want to hear my if you don't want to hear my stories, I'm I'm fucking out of here. Enough of this. All right, well this, this why bullshit. don't we why don't we send you back to your cabin? Yeah, and, I'm, um, I'm gonna go back to my know, cabin. We'll move on to, I'm gonna tell okay. the story to people that want to hear it. People that's that understand fine. what fright is all about. All the other campers oh, have wait, been killed, this but you're is a true, I, I can't believe this is a true story. That's the spookiest thing of all. They always say fact is spookier than fiction. And apparently you two dipshits counselors don't give don't care about fact at all. you right. you just want well, to go brown with your meal, buddy. I'm uh, that's you I'm leaving. I'm getting out of here. I'm going all right. oh, shit. Oh, it looks like Camper Gondelman has wandered into a bear trap. Yep. That is bear trap. Well, he was kinda showing some lips, so maybe he deserved it. Mm. Well, I can hear you still. God. Okay, well, yeah. just uh, uh, maybe pipe down for a moment. We'll we'll help you in a minute. We we need to move on to our I'm our in next, a bear trap. Our next story. Um, yeah. Wait, what's the next story called? Maybe it'll bring me some comfort in the time of bear trap. It's called Brooklyn August. You're not oh, familiar nope, with that. Nope, that's one, right? me too. I that's my story. I had two oh. stories that I prepared for you. Oh, okay. Well, well um, let's see if you can get through it before you come to your wounds. I mean, I'm bleeding out pretty heavy, but this is important because this story is so scary. Yeah, it's, th- it's got to be spooky. Like, we're not going to let you out of that trap uh, mm-hmm. unless you can actually scare us. What? I think that's fair. This is yeah. gross negligence. Well, yeah, whine about it. Have you heard everything else that's going on here tonight? It's been a disaster. Fine. I'll tell you the last story. I'm Make growing scary. Is this blood not scary enough for you? No, I kind of well, like it a little bit, but uh, <laughs> but I want this. I want this, this is called Brooklyn story. August. Okay, mm. it's, yes, it's the scariest thing you can imagine. It's a poem. Oh God! Oh, a great. poem about baseball. Back. Isn't, hey, isn't there a, a killer in the woods or something? Can't you shut this guy up? I don't want to hear another baseball story. What well, else do you story, want him to do to me? Oh, My leg is hanging on by a kneecap. Part of it rhymes and part of it doesn't. Oh, cool. <laughs> that, that, okay. that is terrifying. Yeah, I'm back on track now. A long time ago, there was a baseball team in Brooklyn called the Brooklyn Dodgers. And they had a Jewish guy on the team. 
No, oh, no that's yeah. not the scary part. <laughs> I'm say, you're an asshole you're, about it. You're stepping up to a line, my man. <laughs> Hold on. I'm pretty queasy. <laughs> oh. This is anyway, unfair. it used oh. to be nice to see the Dodgers play in Brooklyn. A lot of blood in this kid. Oh, man, he's puking up all the s'mores, too. Ugh. I didn't eat all the s'mores. Uh, I don't know. That puddle around your mouth seems to, you know, Tell a different story. You don't even recognize bio when you see it. You call yourself a camp counselor. All right, let's wrap it up. Come on now. Anyway, nostalgia. This is a poem about nostalgia. The scariest feeling. Because the past has you in its clutches. And you can't stop thinking about a baseball team that moved to Los Angeles half a century ago. Oh boy, I am getting woozy. Oh no. I think we're losing him. Okay, well, that's... You know, um, we've, we probably we've, should have applied a tourniquet now that I think about it. It's kind of sad that we just well, kind of took forever to get there. through the poem. I don't oh, know what to. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So really, when you think about it, it's his fault. Well, one hates to see Josh Gondelman get killed twice. That that might have been a little excessive. Best be we, right. we maybe shouldn't. Have I done do. That. I do appreciate the gumption, though. Like, yeah, he had real grit and spirit to come and come back and tell us the uh, yet another baseball story. But uh. Intriguingly yeah. enough, uh, Josh's death means that we only have one camper left, which means huh. we only have one story left. Uh, is there a camper, Mallory O'Mara? Who, oh, man? Yeah, you. No. What do you? Wh- what's your deal? What are you doing right now? Oh, I'm just eating all these graham crackers, dude. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Um, See- if you're the only person that's left, if all of our other guests, uh, excuse me, campers have been killed thus far tonight, I think there's a pretty good chance that you're the slasher that's been terrorizing Camp Nightmares and Dreamscapes this entire time. Yeah. Uh, go fuck yourself, because I've been eating fucking graham crackers the entire time. Uh, I don't know. You've been suspiciously absent a couple of times. You've said you had to go to the bathroom, but nobody has to go I'm to the bathroom That's because I'm allergic to gluten, and I, but I still want to keep eating these crackers. That's none of your business. I mean, graham crackers are delicious. I'll give you that. But I'm still saying it's suspicious that you're the last one left. That's I've read Agatha Christie. I know how this shit works. Yeah. Dude, like, who else would have eaten that all these Vespi, crackers? Ve- Vespi and I have been standing here in front of the campfire the entire time, in front of all the campers. We know it wasn't one of us, so if it's not one of us, it's got to be you. Or you're the uh, final victim. Guys. Uh, what? Uh, what? Who the fuck is that behind you? And why is he wearing that dumb mask? Oh, holy uh. fucking shit. Well, it looks like a baby doll head. What? Why would you wear something like that? Is this a weird sex thing, guys? Holy shit, it's no. the slasher. Look out. Get over here. No, ah! it can't be. Oh, my God. Mallory, Get Mallory just me, jumped Get in front of me. us and saved us. Okay, okay. I don't know who the oh. fuck are you, but eat shit. Oh, oh, she, oh. she's punching him. I think he's really beating she's the so shit strong. out of whoever this, this guy is. Um, she's so strong. Man, you graham cracker eating motherfucker. No. This. Uh, Holy shit. Ah, yeah, straight <laughs> to the fucking nose for Mallory on oh, that one. But I'm talking about. Mm, don't mess with me. Good Mallory, thing. get the mask. I recognize that voice. It can't be, though. Get the, Pull his mask off. Let's see if it, it's really him. Good thing even my face is muscular. <laughs> and the mask is off. It's in the fire. It's burning in the fire. What? Oh, it smells so oh, It is. <laughs> It's Morgan Freeman. What are you doing here? Oh, damn. 
This is some bullshit. I came here to stop you two from cutting me off. Every time I come on this show, you always blow me off like some silly fool. I figured if I killed everybody else on this show, you'd be forced to have me on as a guest, the only guest for all eternity. Morgan, <laughs> we can't keep doing this. This has been going on for years now, okay? You're not going to come on this show and talk about the reach. I'm sorry. And especially not now. You just got your ass whooped by a James Beard Award winner. She is strong as shit. Man. Well, guys, I'm still, I'm, I'm holding him down. What do you want to do? I, I think we need to put him out of his misery. He's no, just no, going to no, keep no. attacking the show. Every time we do one of these anniversary specials, if we don't take him out. And as the final girl, I think it is your responsibility to do that. So do you have a, any sort of weapon on you that you could take Morgan Freeman out with? Oh, you bet I do. Fuck oh, yes. Oh, hell no. No, no, not the slide whistle. Look, 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 look I, I'm sorry I hit you with my one good hand, but I'm a feeble old man. Please, anything but the slide whistle. No, no, Get ready please. to eat whistle. Oh, oh, oh my fucking oh, God. Straight right. through the heart. Oh, Direct oh, it. Instead of a C flat, it's me flat. Oh, Morgan, do you have oh, any other final yeah. words that are better than those, perhaps? Get busy living. Or get busy dying by slide whistle. Uh, uh, uh. Well, I guess we solved that problem. I never in a million years would have picked Morgan Freeman as the killer. Yeah, me neither. But I'm glad. But I usually just kind of forget that he he's around. Yeah, you know, that's which true. Which I guess maybe is part of the problem. That's, yeah. Uh, if I want to take his words to heart. Yes. But he also killed like twenty of our favorite guests. So bye bye for now, Mr. Morgan Freeman. You lose. You got busy dying. Thank you so much for saving us, Mallory. Uh, we are going to relieve you of your duty of of, uh, of telling us your story. I think mm -hmm. you've more than proven your mettle here. Can I have the marshmallows, though? Yes, absolutely. Many thanks to... Hold on, let me take a deep breath for this. Kate Siegel, Mike Flanagan, Winter Mitchell, David Lowry, Akela Cooper, Steve Agee, Devin Sawa, Josh Rubin, Flula Borg, Michael Kennedy, James Austin Johnson, Chuck Tingle, Laura Lux, Matt Fraction, Daniel Danger, Trey Crowder, Patton Oswalt, David Dasmalchin, David Ferrier, Stephen Graham Jones, Dave Schilling, Josh Gondelman times two, Mallory O'Mara, and of course, thanks as always to Josh Robert Thompson, a.k.a. our own beloved Morgan Freeman who uh, I think might be gone for good this time. You never yeah. know. How's that for a fucking lineup? Did we outdo <laughs> ourselves this time or what? Honestly, I think because there are so many damn stories in Nightmares and Dreamscapes, we couldn't help but have a stellar lineup because, <laughs> because we just needed to assign 24 friggin' stories. Uh, but uh, it, it does, looking back at that list, though, it does kind of make put a little tear in the corner of Uncle Vespi's eye here. Um, I know. thinking about... You know, all the wonderful people we've had on the show thus far and all the wonderful people that were willing to come back and uh, engage in a little bit of the absurdity that we uh, uh, just forced you guys to listen to yeah. for the last three, four. I'm not However. quite sure how many hours <laughs> this thing's going to be by the time it's all cut together. Yeah, uh, um, it's 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 uh, it feels like quite an accomplishment. And um, I I know there were people that. We wanted involved with this who who weren't available due to uh, scheduling or one thing or another. And, yeah. you know, so if 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 you're sitting here wondering why so and so or wasn't involved or so and so like that's probably why, you know, we we went out to all of our favorite people and, you know, um, all of our all of our mainstays. And um, 
I'm just delighted with how it turned out, though. And um, I'm glad we don't have to do any more recordings for this in the immediate future. Yes, I'm glad that this is going to be behind us. And for our fourth anniversary episode, we know that no matter what it's going to be, it's not going to be as ginormous because this uh, short story collection is by far as biggest. And so so if we keep the format and uh, knowing us, we probably will. I think it'll be a, a much less intensive uh, experience. I think but. we should. I think we should change the format for the next one. I think we should. We should. We've, we've done a trilogy of of short story collections now. Mm. Let's. Um, I, I'd like it if we could if we could brainstorm some other uh, wildly complicated idea to execute. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. We have the same fucking conversation every year. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, I hope everybody enjoyed that. Uh, happy 200th episode to all who listen and partake. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, you know, a little serious side note here. You know, you guys listening to the show and being so supportive from the very first episode has meant the world to Wampler and myself. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and uh, here's to uh, 200 more. I don't know about 200 more. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll see. <laughs> I guess we can say we should go ahead and tell people that we are signing a contract for another another year's worth of the King cast. That was I don't know if we've mentioned that on the air yet, but no, that is is the plan. And so um, cast exclusive Fangoria is not rid of us just yet. So (laughs) try as they might. Um, (laughs) So you've got another another year's worth of King cast episodes to listen to no matter no matter what. Plus all the stuff happening on our on our Patreon, which, by the way, we should. We should take some time to talk about that. Something very special is hitting our Patreon this week, uh, this Friday. It is the return of Shelbyville, the uh, RPG that we launched um, on our Patreon last year. Proved to be very popular. We we did a, I I guess, like a five, six episode uh, first season of that show. And um, it it proved so... uh, uh, popular with the listeners like we immediately said all right well let's sit down and do season two and let's make it a little bigger and you know then life got in the way for mm-hmm. for pretty much all of us in one way or another and it's taken uh, uh much longer than we anticipated or wanted to get season two ready to go but we also wanted to get season two completed before we started rolling it out so there was no chance of y'all having to like sit and wait on a cliffhanger so yeah. this week on the Patreon, that's patreon.com backslash the Kingcast. Shelbyville season two begins. The first of how many episodes is it? 13? 13 total episodes, which uh, to put it in perspective, as you said, season one was five. Uh, the fifth episode probably should have been five and six and listening back to it now because uh, it's a four hour long episode. But uh, yeah, the, just to show you a size comparison, it's it's a it's double the length of uh, of season one of Shelbyville. And we will be rolling that out on the Patreon just as we just as we did before. You know, there was there was talk about us spinning it off into its own Patreon, and that got kind of complicated. And so we decided, in the interest of getting this thing out to y'all sooner rather than later, and not making anyone wait another goddamn day for Shelbyville season two, we we go ahead and just do it the way we we did last time, just for just for this round. And um, we're already uh, starting to talk about what to do for for season three. So you've got some months worth of uh shelby build to look forward to over on the patreon and we invite you to come join us over there again that's patreon.com backslash the king cast you're going to want to sign up in the gunslinger tier you are guaranteed to get new shelby bill every month uh we also have commentaries interviews 
weird little curveball episodes. We've been covering a lot of short stories over there on the Patreon lately, which I'm a big fan of. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you'll get access to our Discord, which is uh, pretty rad. A little community going on over there. Yes, definitely sign up for our Patreon. We appreciate it. And uh, as usual, we'll see y'all in the main feed next week for a new episode on Wednesday. And every Friday, we got a bonus episode on our Patreon. Uh, it's time for a nap, Vespi. Oh, uh, yes. Some shut eye. Forever Let's go back sleep. to our cabins now. Yes, it was certainly going to uh, be a non-treacherous thing. And Mallory took care of the only threat. Yes, that's yeah, true. Yeah, our, yeah. our very own final girl. <laughs> we appreciate it. All right, thanks, everybody. Bye. Adios. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Andley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly.